my camera up for you. Hello and welcome to another fun-filled episode of Rank and Review. This episode, regular guest Brock Knudsen and your host and random Canadian Larry Parsons, that's me, are going to discuss six X-Men movies. That's the first six of the X-Men franchise, and uh, I hope you guys are into a bit of a comic book discussion, because in this particular matter, Brock knows what he's talking about. So yes, we're going to talk superheroes, we're going to talk X-Men, and we're going to do it with our typical spoilers and our typical spicy language, so go in prepared for all of that. Also, if you happen to be within arm's reach of Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, which is the base of operations of Ranking Review, on October 27th, 2018, Book of Trespasses will be playing at the Broadway Theatre. Uh, that is a motion picture written and co-directed by your host and random Canadian, Larry Parsons, and I want to fill as many seats as possible. I know that that's not realistic for most of the people whose podcast this is reaching their ears or whose ears is being reached by this podcast, but I just want to spread the word. Book of Trespasses is screening again in Saskatoon, and uh, hopefully we'll be hitting the festival circuit in 2019. Come support us, check it out, and thank you so much for listening to Rank and Review, and I'll stop talking so we can get to the superheroes. Any and all feedback goes to rankandreview at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W. It's always great to have Brock Knutson on Rank and Review, and uh, here we are with Rank and Review versus the X Men. We're going to talk about the first six X Men movies. Uh, a little bit of a cloud has sort of passed over the whole X Men franchise. What with both uh, Brian Singer and Brett Ratner's reputation being well drawn through the mud, <laughs> uh, this conversation is happening more and more. Uh, there was a, a podcast in Saskatoon, The Terror Table, was talking about the Jeepers Free- Creepers franchise. And can you still like Jeepers Creepers, even though you know all these terrible things about the guy who wrote and directed it? And can you still like Roman Polanski movies? Are we still allowed to like <laughs> the X-Men movies and the usual suspects, even though uh, some of their creators have some stink on them? I, I kind of feel like I want to get this out of the way so that when we talk about the X-Men movies, we can talk about the explosions and the superheroes, you know what I mean? I read this neat article, and it was like, do we still like the art of terrible people? Right. And, and it was, uh, it, yeah, I was kind of talking about that, and it's like, um, you know, you have statues of, of people who did great works, but they were, you know, they did them in the 20s, and it's like casual racism was not a bad thing yeah. for them. I mean, in their time. And I'm not saying that doesn't, that completely excuses them because there were obviously other people that stood up and whatever, but people are a product of their time. Right. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not saying that that excuses any of the more recent things that have come up. I mean, obviously people are, uh, are whatever, but yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's a definitely something that is uh, a big discussion point because, you know, how do you separate the work from the artist? Right. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, obviously, X-Men as a thing existed before, you know, Brian Singer. And again, I should, you know, drop the caveat. He's not been convicted of anything, but he's had enough accusations over enough years where sort of like the Bill Cosby thing, there's certainly mm-hmm. been enough smoke for me to believe that there's fire there. Um, Brett Ratner's reputation was already really shaky, and I always thought he was kind of a scumbag based on the movies of his that I'd watched. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, other than X Men First Class, though, uh, from the director of Kick Ass and Stardust, uh, uh, all of these directors have a pretty, pretty shady reputation now. Um, I'm going to try to look past it, but I guess the question is, should I? And at the time that these movies first came out, when they were first popular, of course, none of this was really talked about or known. So it's it's another thing that's sort of being peeled back. It's amazing how many horror films have the Miramax label on them, produced by the Weinsteins, and how that instantly makes you go, eek, yeah. yeah. Somebody was yeah. abused in the background of this movie, and that's, that's unfortunate to know. <laughs> well, you know, and it's, it's funny, though. Like, you, watch, you can watch any movies just don't age well like you I mean you know you were trying to I think something pulled up on on Netflix and and we were like oh god I haven't seen that since I you know you know watched it in the 80s and you rewatch it and you're like that's um that's not okay that's like you know that's like pretty much that's date rape there that's like you know there's n-words here that are not being said by black people (laughs) and like uh, blazing saddles like try and watch that without you know that's funny. We just recently <laughs> talked about Young Frankenstein, and this conversation came up. Some of the stuff that was edgy in Blazing Saddles isn't edgy at all anymore, and some of the stuff that was edgy in Blazing Saddles is really kind of scarily offensive now to people, right? <laughs> but yeah, again, right. Uh, this isn't about necessarily the time that the movie came out, though. This is just like knowing that this the, the creator behind it has done a lot of terrible things to a lot of terrible people. Like, the oh, yeah. X-Men no, movies no. were largely shot in Canada, so I think about these young actors applying for parts. And, you yeah. know, did somebody have to get, you know... Did you have to blow a guy to get a part in X-Men, you know? <laughs> like, that's uh, that, that that's an unfortunate weight to put on what's just a, a, supposed to be a fun uh, escapist piece of entertainment. Uh, unfortunately, I just I think it's something we'll have to, like, just address and then move past but getting past all of that ugliness how do you feel about x-men in general i know you're my comic book guy we've talked about comic book movies a lot on the podcast i read a lot of comic books but to be honest x-men was not always my jam because i was the kind of collector where if i collected one x-men then i have to collect you know (laughs) uncanny x-men and 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 (laughs) teen x-men and x-factor and it would become this whole thing so i only dipped my toes in that water so uh, are you are you more x-men literate than uh, i'm i'm kind of in this of the same mind honestly um like x-men it's such you know, when, when we were collecting comics or when I was collecting comics, um, yeah, like you couldn't, and they, and they didn't just follow one line, right? Like there would be a story that would be in, in X-Men and then it would be, you know, there'd be like the story would branch off into X-Factor and then there'd be like, you know, X-Caliber or, X, you know, X-Force or, you know, there had all the different, you know, anything that you could put an X in front of, there was a comic for it. Uh, and yeah, you couldn't just have one or they'd have, and then they'd be on big, oh, and this one has four different colors and three of them are holograms. And, you know, like it just, everything seemed like a cash grab. And I mean, I just didn't have the money to, to float that stuff. And uh, at the point where, yeah, I, 
I kind of got like I never really was much of a a Marvel guy. I know my Marvel stuff really well, and I collected a, a run of reissues that they did called Classic X Men, which kind of went over a bunch of the like the the Fantastic World storylines. Like it was a re release of the Dark Phoenix saga and a whole bunch of other stuff, and that was kind of where I kind of regrounded myself on X Men uh, in terms of how this, the the overall canon went. Yeah, but uh, you know where it was all. You know, and and this that's this stuff that like, the stuff that's covered in these mo- in the in the movies or that's alluded to in these movies or adapted to in these movies is all based on those things like yeah. the Age of Apocalypse and um, you know the Dark Phoenix Saga, which we're about to get another uh, reissue mm-hmm. of, and Weapon uh, X, which is what I did read when I, I was kind of a Wolverine guy mm-hmm. a little bit, like some of the isolated Wolverine books or or, or stories. Um, cause I you know, I guess Canadian proud, he's a Canadian uh, mutant yeah. a- and, um, I liked that particular storyline and sometimes he would cross over in books that I was reading, but, um, yeah. yeah. And we'll, we'll get to this, you know, when we start talking about the first three, I, I really do. It's, it's one of those, you know, when, when we've talked comic books before too, we've talked about how it's really hard to compare superhero movies uh, to superhero movies because there's in the in the the kind of the you know, what do you say for almost forty years now I guess that they've been making movies about superheroes like taking superhero movies and adapting them. There's been radical changes to how they handle superhero movie and it's been like there's been phases. Yeah. And X Men the first three X Men are very much from that what like um, you hand the director. Uh, a story and he goes oh this is a comic book story i can't sully my hands on this without you know making it my own and they change it and they do all this stuff and it's like oh well we can't make this a blockbuster unless it has you know these five people in it it doesn't matter if they you know meet mesh well with the character sometimes they do sometimes they don't i mean yeah. uh there's the classic uh, uh patrick stewart story about professor x which i'll i'll bring up later if you don't know it yeah. And, uh, you know, like in all this other stuff, right? But, like, definitely there are characters, there's people in these or roles, actors and roles in these movies that we're going to talk about that are, like, you know, they're, they're just, they're, they're, they're wearing a funny costume and they look. They're there more because it's good so, for their right? career to be in a popular movie than they are excited to be in an X-Men movie. Yeah, right? And then, you know, like, so the, in the, second, the second set of three is from, you know, like, um... I think when exactly they, they came out, but it was at that point you could use unknown people. You know, I think they were all post 2010, weren't they? Like, isn't that about 20, 2009, the, 2010? The, yeah. The, the, uh, revisionist class. ones, first class. Yeah. They're all in the yeah. 2010s. Yeah. So like, that's, you know, that's a whole different, like that's post bail Batman, right? Yeah. Like that's when they, they, you know, you could do, you didn't have to like give them a cool costume. They could look like they look in the, in the comic book and people cheer that on. Um, you could use unknown actors and people would be okay with that and still go see it. Right. The brand so, is really the selling point more than the cast yeah. slowly. Yeah. And, and Marvel, uh, Marvel studios had re-owned, like had kind of pulled their IP back and joined the creative teams on them and, and had a lot more, uh, control over that. They would, they didn't have to like, um, you know, sell their sell their vision down the down the stream just to get it made, kind of thing. So, yeah, you know, like, and I so we'll get to this because we're going to talk about all these and talk about how they interact. But 
um, you know, I'm sure you have like, uh, you know, the credits to play and all that. <laughs> Here's the thing. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, we should get this thing started and you're absolutely right. But uh, just for the uninitiated, if there's any out there, the thing about the X-Men is they're sort of a subset of the Marvel superhero universe in a lot of ways. Yeah. Not to say that there hasn't and wouldn't be to crossover, but typically in this Marvel universe, mutant changes in people are what caused superhero abilities in what we call the x-men so it's not like everybody mm -hmm. has their own origin their origin is they have a genetic mutation the mutation yeah. just expresses itself differently for all of the different characters um so and this has also been used as a way to you know talk about civil rights or, or you know homophobia mm -hmm. or all there's there's all these different sort of angles that you can play on it and every new character can have a super wicked you know, power in a super wicked costume. So uh, mm -hmm. it's a big world that they were kicking into. And it was kind of the first baby steps to what would eventually become the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, and what's interesting with these first X-Men movies is sort of seeing them taking these timid first steps because they really were, love them or hate them, they, they were doing it before everyone else. Uh, so and, and successfully. I mean, like not, I don't, not necessarily really from a, some of not like from a, is this is this the best movie ever made about this kind of idea but they were blockbusters they made money they were big the bold swings that largely worked i mean we're gonna complain yeah. because we're nerds but <laughs> um for the most part they're definitely financially unquestionably successful there's been mm -hmm. what eight or ten of these versions if you talk about origins and standalones and and uh you know yeah uh so the, and no end in sight uh this episode so we can get started as you have said we're going to talk about x-men x2 x-men the last stand <laughs> and brock shakes his head we're going to talk about x-men first class we're going to talk about x-men days of future past and we're going to talk about x-men apocalypse thank you so much for being here brock i love having you on the show well we need to do it more often because i love doing this too Agreed. Ladies and gentlemen, we are now seeing the beginnings of another stage of human evolution. In every human being, there's not many people that'll understand people like us. There exists the genetic code. You'll be safe here. What kind of place is this? You're not the only one with gifts. For mutation. The truth is... Mutants are very real, and they are among us. We must know who they are, and above all, what they can do. A change is coming. Are you a God-fearing man, Senator? And those we fear. Magneto believes that a war is brewing between mutants and the rest of humanity. Will be all that can save us. If no one is equipped to oppose them, humanity's days could be over. You're a mutant. The whole world out there is full of people that hate and fear you, and you're wasting your time trying to protect them. You sure you're on the right side? I have made the first move. That is all they know. He could wipe out everyone in New York City. Logan, help us. Fight with us. So Brian Singer's first big swing at, at the X-Men franchise is uh, it's got a real tough uphill battle. And I think this is something that you bump into with a lot of superhero movies, especially when you're looking at chapter one, in that there is so much origin, there's so much setup that you got to get to 
typically the villain will take short shift. Even in, in superhero origin movies that I think are successful, uh, Iron Man, for instance. Mm-hmm. Really, that third act with the big robot fight is kind of like the quickest, silliest, slapped together part of the whole movie. And it just like, yeah. this is who Iron Man is, now let's see him fight, right? Uh, mm-hmm. In this movie, they have that same problem, but there's not one Iron Man. There's half a dozen, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, so that was working against them, and that was going to make it uh, a, a tough tapestry to weave right out of the gate. And they're also, again, in the age where superhero movies aren't a lock yet. There's a lot of this movie where Wolverine's running around in a, you know, a hoodie. <laughs> and they almost seem embarrassed about the superhero stuff getting to, quote, comic book or to, quote, superhero. Oh, yeah. But, they actively stick their tongue out at, yeah. at it, too, in places, right? Mm-hmm. Like, there's a scene where um, they have their new X-Men... Jumpsuits uh, or the, the X-Men jumpsuits or whatever. And he's like, well, at least it's not yellow tights or something. Like, you know, like fourth wall talks to them about his classic comic you know that isn't even in the show like that but do you think the movie can overcome that or does overcome that enough to still work as a movie and how well has it aged because to my shock this movie is getting long in the tooth already um i think some of the things that work in it have aged well The, the the special effects um you know didn't age as well but i mean there's also it would have had it had so much star wattage on it too right there had to have been massive contracts paid out to, to the people to get the the names there like and to lock them know. in for sequels yeah right and um you know like there there was some like those are some those are some pretty big names all over that and, and you know like the you know you hear the stories about like uh rebecca romain stamos and the the blue makeup and her vomiting uh, projectile vomiting like blue vomit because the the paint had leached into her system oh my and, god um you know there yeah and again right all it's it's funny because the things that they kind of did the, the the stick your tongue out at the at the geeks to appease the norms that came to watch the popcorn flick on the friday night with their girlfriends no. those things actually seem the most acneed in a rewatch because now nobody needs to do that. They just tell a story and people show up and they watch it and they like it. And it's a well-told story and you don't have to say, Oh, but you know, first it's a superhero movie and you yeah. know, it, but it's uh, we're not, we're cooler than we, than our material. Right. Yeah. Well, here's what I will say. They, they did right for the most part, half of the cast I'm absolutely on board for. I mean, if you can get Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart to face off, these two, you know, classic British actors, they're going to add legitimacy to any project. Like, they can sell almost anything to anyone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Discovery, like, I know Hugh Jackman had, had done things before this, but this made Hugh Jackman, and I do think he's a really good match for this Wolverine character. Where oh, yeah, no, he... Yeah, I, I don't think anyone... As or ever will. I mean, you see that uh, uh, buzz that uh, Eastwood's son uh, might be picking up the role. Right. Uh, I, I don't think it needs to be done. Um, if they if they really want to continue on doing Wolverine stories, I'm perfectly happy to see them do an X23, uh, even if it's a consolidated 
shot with her kind of doing a new mutants thing. I think uh, Logan set that up really well, and I think the world would accept it pretty easily. She's a pretty cool character. Right. Well, yeah, but especially for this day and age, like when this movie is coming out, great casting and not an easy choice, not necessarily a safe choice. Where it gets a little shaky for me, and I hate to be mean to the ladies, (laughs) Uh, Halle Berry as Storm for the first and only time in the series attempting and failing at a Cajun accent, or at at an accent, I'm not sure what her accent was, and Anna Paquin was trying and failing at that that sort of Cajun Southern accent, and both of those got uh, abandoned (laughs) for for the rest of the series. Um, yeah, I'm I'm not a fan of Rogue in the first one. Uh, I don't of the, of the bunch. I don't mind uh, Femke Johnson. I think that the I think she does the best job of any of the the ladies in it. Um, she definitely. Halle this... Berry is. Uh, she's a hit and miss actress in my opinion. Um, anyway, yeah, uh, she's she, you know like uh, Monsters Ball. She's incredible, brilliant, and uh, I mean not awful movie but, or not awful movie like a. A movie that hits you in the gut regardless yeah. but um but yeah i run hot and cold on her uh, you know there's movies that i can uh, that i know she was in that i really can't even remember what part she played and you know and, yeah but it's, um, it's interesting how like they almost immediately retrofit both of those performance entirely uh famke johansson basically had come a long way for me because i'd seen her in other things in smaller roles and like the the haunting a hill house remake and for the faculty and things like this but uh this was the movie was like no she's she's also a good actress she's not just a pretty Mm -hmm. face she can act and it was sort of x-men that i was kind of walking the line she also did a pretty over-the-top performance in one of the james bond movies with pierce brosnan as i remember uh so she kind of had come a long Mm -hmm. way uh, but the villains outside of Ian McKellen's Magneto are given no character or definition at all. At no, all. well, and, and I mean, right, right up, I mean, Rebecca Romine Stamos's mystique is played by other people, you know, 90% of the time on screen. Right. <laughs> well, so, and again, I got to feel for, for her from not just what you said, but her, her costume was literally painted applied and glued to her body like it was yeah, yeah. It, it couldn't have been an easy thing to walk around set like that all the time even if you could tell yeah. yourself it'll look cool and appropriate on screen you just basically spend your day hanging out with all of these people basically naked <laughs> you know? yeah yeah well and and the the saber tooth character i mean uh, obviously he doesn't he's non-verbal the yeah. toad character who um in the comics is somewhat intriguing uh i don't think he has five lines in the whole thing no and that's one thing that i will say in defense of the rogue character halle berry has this infamously terrible line in the movie what happens to a frog when it gets hit by lightning (laughs) right see and and that's everyone's like like shame moment for halle berry well here's the thing there had been this thing that was in the screenplay woven through where toad had been saying shit like that throughout the movie and had these oh, like yeah. witty punchlines. He would always set himself up and then deliver the punchline. And that was her finally basically retaliating. But having cut hmm. all of the other stuff. The guy who played Toad was... <laughs> uh, yeah, it made I no sense. I didn't know that story. That's yeah, hilarious. But poor Halle Berry, right? The guy who played him, I can't remember his name right now. But he was like Darth Maul in Star Wars. He's an amazing stuntman. But maybe some of his performance wasn't coming through as far as the delivery of the lines. For whatever reason, they made the choice to cut that. But 
they kept her line at the end when she hits them by lightning, which it, it seems not just inexplicable, but awful. It just seems like a terrible, terrible line that like everybody should have known when they shot it. That was terrible. Right. Well, you know, and it's the old thing too, right? Like you say the, you say the, what the funny thing, um, after you kill the bat, the, the hero anyway, you don't give him the chance, right? right. Like everybody's like, you, you, you say the witty line and then the hero like breaks free and you're like, I mean, obviously it's not the hero's equal in this right. one, but it's like, I always hate those. Like, yeah, I expect you to die, Mr. Bond. You know, it's like, well, and that's the thing I see. So <laughs> I end up coming on about 50, 50 on the cast. And in the end, especially on this revisitation, I kind of come off 50, 50 on the movie, but I have a lot of respect because they were trying to do stuff and they were like, again, like I said, they had a lot of stuff working against them. Generally speaking, the deeper into the movie, the less real and the less credible it becomes to the point where we have this huge climactic battle literally at the top of the Statue of Liberty and then it feels Ghostbusters territory almost. Mm -hmm. But the stuff getting there, the stuff set in Alberta with, with Rogue and Wolverine, yeah. uh, the initial meeting of the with Xavier and the school, like all of that stuff is intriguingly enough handled. But uh, mm -hmm. it's weird that it's when it fully kicks into the superhero stuff is when it's least comfortable and the least sure-footed. And you can sort of tell, like, again, they're self-conscious about the comic book stuff. And you can't really make an X-Men movie without embracing the fact that it's a comic book movie because mm -hmm. I hate to break it to you, it's a comic book movie. It's like the people who deny that 28 Days Later and 28 Weeks Later are zombie movies because, no, they're infected, they're infected. Yeah, I get yeah. what you're saying, they're infected these are zombie movies yeah, <laughs> like, it's, right it's, it's a coat of paint on top of a zombie it's exactly not zombie exactly movie. so uh those are probably the same people that try and claim that die hard's a christmas movie though so you know <laughs> how i feel about those people anyway. the war on christmas needs to stop brag <laughs> but you know it's it's funny though there are some just like you know, even in the rewatch, there are scenes, and there are scenes that I remember being incredibly uh, impacting that haven't lost uh, a, a jot of what they, like the, you know, and, and, you know, you're talking about how they have to intro all these different characters, but they intro some of the characters, um, like, they tell, there are some really well done little stories that are done, that are handled, like, like, like rogue, right? Like her finding, you know, like almost killing her boyfriend. Yeah, like he that kisses scene her is and not long. Kills him. Yeah. It's not overacted. It doesn't. It doesn't drag out. You don't sit there and go, "Oh well, this is this seems to you know like it's it's bum bum done," and you get the implication really quickly. And and you see that, you know, I mean, she continues that on throughout the movie that, um, uh, you know, I I'm a, I'm a danger, and it comes across, you know, like it's in the third one too. There's that scene between her uh when they have the mutant cure and she's like oh, oh a cure and you know storm kind of berates her and says we don't need a cure <laughs> she's like yeah well yeah you know not all of us are happy zappy you know cool powers i kill people when i touch them you know it's kind of the implied reaction and, yeah you know and like that's there but uh the magneto scene like the the dragging dragging him away from his parents that at uh, Auschwitz very and, strong uh, very strong you know and there's a there's a recall back to that in the third one where they say something about the mutant registration act and he goes they put their numbers on me once they never will again yeah. and it's like no. I mean that, that give, has, your, give your that villain right, right now yeah. right like that's current right now in and even then you know back then it was 
um, you know, maybe there was, it was more about, uh, you know, gay rights or, uh, you know, civil rights or, or whatever. I mean, I know that they've, they've often said that, um, the caricatures are the characters of Charles Xavier and, uh, Magneto back when they were written were, uh, intended to present the two sides of, uh, African-American struggle in America, right? So Charles Xavier is the Dr. Martin Luther King and Magneto is the Malcolm X, right? The militant versus the, uh, the work with the, the establishment, right? Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's all presented fairly efficiently. Like uh, mm-hmm. I say, it's tricky. There's there's a scene where where Rogue uh, wakes up Wolverine and is stabbed by him, mm-hmm. and she has to use her powers to cure herself, and it hurts him all at once. So we we have a very clear, implicit example of her powers, what mm-hmm. she can do to him, and it bonds them because he never quite forever forgives himself for stabbing her even though mm-hmm. she's able to survive it he realized if not for the fact that she had that incredible ability he would have killed that girl right so you but got... he he's he he like her is a danger to those around him yeah right so uh mm-hmm. you understand him really wanting to protect her even though he's got to be the super rugged cool outsider that relationship between he and rogue really worked and it's really is done in one scene and that kind yeah. of efficiency is is commendable absolutely yeah um it, it, most of the social commentary stuff especially with the politician who gets turned into a mutant uh not subtle <laughs> not subtle <sighs> <laughs> But again, for a first whack and like nibbling the, at the door of this immense universe, I don't want to be too hard on it. It was one of the first big blockbuster superhero movies, and it mostly works. Oh, yeah. No, and oh, got a bit of an echo there. Sorry. <laughs> what? Um, but yeah, like, the, again, it's not to me, you know, you're saying like with the Iron Man thing, it's not a movie to me that I go oh, and it's this epic struggle and it's this, there's this politician and the, you know, the the whole got a steel rogue to turn her into Magneto to run the power of the weapon and right. the yada, yada, yada. Uh, that whole side of it is, I don't care. I don't even, I, I, if you were to, if you were to like make me put the plot points in perfect order, I probably would fail that right. test because I just, it's, it's so secondary to just, the intro of the world and the intro of the characters and you know like all the scenes with the bad senator uh when he's being converted into a mutant by the mutant machine thing yeah magic macguffin whatever it's called um i you don't really even pay that much attention to him because freaking serene mckellen's on stage (laughs) and he's he's masterful like yeah. he just every scene with him as Magneto is is a treat. Yeah, uh, you know, just like every scene with uh, Patrick Stewart as as Charles Xavier is a treat, and the two of them on stage together, you know, almost wreck every scene that bookends them because they're this, you know, glowing great interchange of or exchange of 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 lines done perfectly between two master thespians, and everything else is opie do. Uh, I'm embarrassed to be here <laughs> in some ways. Which is what was so scary because they centered the movie so completely when we found out later on, and we'll be talking about it, that they were going to be recast. So uh, 
I think I think you're right though. I agree. They set the table fairly well. They did a lot of the work, and I feel like X Men Two benefits from this greatly because X Men X Two doesn't have to deal with as much setup at all. They can just start out with the fun X Men adventure that you know has some intricacy and makes a little bit more sense. Um, yeah, that's yeah, all they... compliments of what was built up here. So I like yeah, it for what it... Yeah, they kind of do the little check marks like, oh, hey, he's still here, he's still here, he's still this, they're still there. Yeah. Okay, let's get rolling. Yeah. But for setting the new... table, I really appreciate this one. So you, you know the story about when Patrick Stewart's agent uh, approached him about the movie, hey? What's that? He, like, gave him an X-Men comic, and he's like, they want you to play this guy, and Patrick Stewart had never read or heard of the X-Men before, and he's like... Why am I on the cover of this magazine? <laughs> yeah. Because, I mean, yeah, like, he is... I, I don't think you could have cast anyone else and had it look anywhere. I mean, there they was do, and it's not... Not an easy number two to go to if Patrick Stewart had said no. No, well, yeah, and, and I mean, when, the, when they actually do the, the younger versions of them, the Days of Future Past, when we get to that one, um, that's one of my favorite parts about it is that I do think they really I thought they did a really good job with the younger versions of them I know some people don't like them as much but well let's get there is there anything else you want to say about part one it's definitely it's it's not a perfect movie but again you know uh, for the time it's one of the better you know like I, I, I think you know movies from that time I think like what's Spider-Man, like the, those were about the same time, um, and then there was some like the the first Fantastic Four, which was a dog of a movie. Like we weren't even taught, we weren't even in Avengers Land at that point. Yeah, no. way before that. So, yeah, like uh, we were just coming off the goofy Batman's, right? Like the uh, the Burton Batman's, love him or hate him. Um, no, I think we were probably past the Burton Batman's. Yeah, we were we were past the Schumacher Batman's by this. This well, was yeah. So right, like coming off the bad taste in your mouth of both stuff, it was a definitely a, a step in the right direction. And I think the fiscal, I think you know, uh, it, it should have a lot more, a lot of the credit for setting the stage of, you know, letting the big blockbuster be made that doesn't have to also wink at the people in the audience that aren't comic book fans. Exactly. You know, like it, it created its own sequels that uh, benefited from its success and allowed better movies to be made. Sure. Yeah. Nobody really knows how many even exist. Or how to find them, except you. Who are you? I keep feeling something terrible is about to happen. I would never let anything happen to you. It's about to get very cold in here. you to read my mind sometimes the mind needs to discover things for itself they say you're the bad guy is that what that said what a talent you have there. most people will never know anything beyond what they see i have faith in you the next time you feel like showing off I used to think you were one of a kind, Wolverine. I was wrong.
X-Men 2, uh, X-Men United, or just X2, as it was largely advertised. As I said at the end of the previous review, I think benefits greatly in that we don't have to deal with the origin of most of the characters. It also benefits mm -hmm. greatly with one of the few characters that we do get the origin to, opens the movie with clearly one of the most spectacular opening sequences of not just the X-Men franchise, but of most. Like, I would put this up there with the opening to the Two Towers of just, like, sheer exciting way to open the movie. We see Nightcrawler single-handedly take on the Oval Office uh, mm -hmm. and uh, get right on top of the president and damn near kill him. To yep. start not just an amazing, you know, uh, centerpiece, actually to start the movie, but to start the plot. Uh, someone has made this this mutant do this to roil up negative politics about mutants so that a mutant registration can start going into place and yes we can sort of kick into that um, this is also blended into some of the origin of Wolverine with him trying to find out where he came from uh, and uh, meeting Straker played by Brian Cox is that his mm -hmm. name? Striker? I can't remember uh, uh, Straker. Straker, thank you. Uh, Brian Cox is sort of the kind of the big bad in this movie, although it's kind of complex mm -hmm. because the uh, X Men, either both on the side of Professor X and Magneto, kind of have to j join forces to solve this problem. Anybody who is a mutant is on the same side in this movie. Mm -hmm. It's bigger, it's longer, it's bolder, and it's way better. So I open up the review by saying, yes, I am a huge fan of X2. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think it's the strongest of the first set. Um, it, it benefits from having established characters. It doesn't try and add uh, a ridiculous uh, panoply of new characters, which um, always in superhero movie, I think, drags it down. It's true. Uh, definitely, that's a problem in this third one when we get to that one. Um, yeah, I think any of the new, like the, the, the villain is, uh, Straker is villainous. He's not a very, you know, like he, you see him doing some bad things. He's got his, uh, 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 Lady Deathstrike, uh, well, I don't think she actually has ever called that, but like, that's the, the sort of female uh, Wolverine. So yeah, right. His, um bad fingernails, you know, et cetera, whatever the, the adamantium, you know, his, his, you know, she's like a foil for him. The, the still controlled the super weapon that didn't get away kind yeah. of thing. Right. He's a military specialist. He makes super weapons and, you know, designed the adamantium exoskeleton, which, uh, Wolverine enjoys. Uh, yeah. and, and, uh, he also has a son who is right up there with professor X, as far as being the most powerful and dangerous mutant. Who he's basically turned into this lab experiment where he can extract uh, essence from the back of his son's skull to basically control and manipulate other mutants to make them do what he wants them to do. It actually adds some real pathos to some of the fights at the end because a lot of those mutants that are being killed are just, they're not doing control. any of this on purpose. They're being puppeted and uh, yeah. it kind of sucks for them. <laughs> yeah, the... Um, I say it's like the Nightcrawler scene. I think, um, you know, uh, Alan Cumming, uh, you know, does a pretty good job. I don't, I, I, I actually, I think I prefer the, the Nightcrawler from the redo in terms of just, 
you know, what he accomplishes. Um, but you know, like, again, it's a little, it has to be a star, right? Like you have to get some known quote commodity to do those roles. It still doesn't, the movies haven't moved past that point where they have to fill, you know, any, any mutant that doesn't die (laughs) has to be a a real actor kind of thing, or at least an established actor. You know, when we were kids, we used to play the, oh, well, who would play, you know, who would play this X-Men if it was a, if they made a movie, like, you know, back before they actually had made them, right. a bunch of my, me and my friends would go through the comics and like, you know, so there is like, oh, well, Gambit would have to be like Jean-Claude Van Damme because he's French. And he, right? <laughs> like just, you know, making these awful casting decisions that, you know, 12-year-old boys make. <laughs> but, but still, right, like you have, you do those things and, um, you would never say, oh, well, yeah, you know, there's this little known guy that was, uh, you know, played uh, this guy in this movie. And I think he'd be great in this role because you don't see those movies. You see big blockbuster popcorn movies when you're that age. Right. right. Well, uh, and what I do appreciate about X-Men 2 is it is a big blockbuster popcorn movie. But you know what? It's not dumb. <laughs> it, it actually has quite quite a lot of game to it as far as I'm concerned. You're freezing on me. You still there, brother? Uh-oh. I'm going to stop it. I don't... I didn't say a great movie, but I shouldn't say it like that. Like, it's... But yeah, it's it's definitely... Uh, it's hard to find any fault with. It's got... The action sequences are, are fantastic. Um, one of the things I really like about it... Um, funny, you watch them all again, and they kind of blur together. <laughs> a little bit there's that scene where they uh they send the military SWAT team to take down uh mansion yeah and and wolverine goes like murder spree on for the them. first time the ever first time we see him wolf out properly as wolverine <laughs> yeah like i think in the first one they didn't you know they, they were worried it would make him too if he, you know, was shown gutting cops or soldiers or, or whatever, it would be like, hmm, not yeah. really a hero. But uh, I think by the second one, they're like, you know, people love him and they love him however he is. They want to see him berserker barrage, you know, like, and, uh, and yeah, that scene is. Yeah. And he, he, it's, <laughs> it's interesting. Like he's left to babysit the kids. Right. And in true comic book fashion, the one night that Wolverine's left to babysit the kids is the perfect night that Wolverine would be there. Yeah. I remember seeing this in the theater and I think, what does he shout? If you want to shoot me, go ahead and shoot me. And the claws come out and we see him just fucking take these guys down. And, uh, it's done carefully. So it still maintains its PG aesthetic, but it yeah, is a lot, of, a lot of murder in the dark. Right? Exactly. <laughs> But, like, it's not like he mentally, you know, throws people across the room and then they fall down and don't move. Like, he stabs people (laughs) with these huge claws, and it's pretty hardcore. It's also interesting seeing the different mutant kids, since they get chased out of their school and they're banding together, being pulled in these two different directions. Most obviously being portrayed with the Iceman and the uh, Human Torch character of... Uh, Pyro. Pyro, thank this you. Is, this uh, is villain name because he is a he is a stock villain in yeah. the in the series. Yeah, but it, I mean, it's interesting. You know where they're going, especially if you know your 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 X Men. Mm-hmm. But uh, 
it's not it's not necessarily subtly handled especially the whole business with you know them being forced to hide out at the kid's parents place and the conversation he has with his mom like have you ever thought about maybe not being a mutant it, yeah <laughs> it, it, it's it's an amusing aside but really we're waiting for the cops to show up and shit to explode i also remember the holy yeah. fuck moment where wolverine gets shot in the head by one of the cops and you're like did that just happen and yeah, well, yeah he's still then, wolverine it didn't penetrate it just knocked him out for a second and now he's pissed off <laughs> yeah well and the bullet pushing out of the bullet hole is uh, a great it's a really well done visual it's a simple special effect but it is so effective right yeah. like that you know reversal of death he is as a this is you can't kill this guy you're you're screwed and everything <laughs> yeah. they do to escape the police blowing up all those police cars even though they didn't kill any of those polices i remember in that sequence yeah uh is still making them look bad it basically says look this is a handful of mutant kids and they took down an entire squad of police officers no problem we need to do something about this mutant threat, right? Yeah, it's um, it's really weird. I, it's uh, the the one movie because I'd seen, I'd watched um, I'd watched X Men Apocalypse the most recently of them, so I rewatched everything except that one, and uh, it was really interesting how. So then, like, so the last movie I watched was Days of Future Past, and I think of all the movies, Days of Future Past and X Two are the most connected. Like, there's little dotted lines that connect, but in because there's a whole history rewrite that happens in there, right? right? And uh, but a lot of the history stuff that is rewritten is stuff that is in this. So you know, you've got the or is. Well, I guess it is a bit also in the third one because does Kelsey Grammer show up in this one or not? Till the no, third he's one? in the third one. Is he not meant that you you actually hear him mentioned at one point? But I believe he's not, so. Yeah, yeah, he's like not a major like a, point of it, but uh, we don't really see Kelsey Grammer until the X three, unfortunately. Yeah, I think there's a point where they're like uh, they they talk about Doctor Henry McCoy like on the news in the background or right. you know like a, a nondescript non facial yeah uh, you know and there's a they're gone and the, the, I think it's interesting the amount of uh, comic book fan service that they're doing so they're doing Weapon X and they're also doing you know the setup for the Dark Phoenix saga sort of simultaneously. As well mm-hmm. as the this background story that sort of heightens the intrigue between Magneto and, and Professor X. And they're doing it all simultaneously. That's a lot of balls to juggle in the air. And it, it, it's also the same magic that I think that the Avengers, the first Avengers movie, did really well. And that there's a lot of characters in this movie, but I don't necessarily yeah. feel like anybody got really, really shortchanged. Obviously, there are people that we spend more time with, but everybody's given stuff to do in a fairly well-balanced way which is trickier to pull off than you would imagine i think well i think there's a certain amount of directorial freedom when you know that you have you know a mandate to produce three movies regardless of you know like it's been a success you know that x2 is going to be done uh x3 is a foregone conclusion really unless things go completely off the rails um so you're given kind of this uh this freedom and you know i think you see a truer vision there is less of the, you know, say like the the sticking your tongue out at the the true fans to placate the 
the the jocks in the crowd kind of yeah. thing. There's less of that. It's there really is like, you know, I mean, if if you are making that parallel where you say that X Men are those kids that you pick on in school, well, the kids you pick on in school are the heroes in this movie. Yeah, and the people who are assholes to them are the villains. Yeah, you know, so that's there's not even an attempt to soft sell that. That is flat out. You know, like you look down on the parents of the kids who are like, you try, you know, that have you tried being less mute? And you're like, seriously, yeah, <laughs> you know, like that. They are. That's uh, they're they're they're. You know, it's it's presented as a mockingly stupid idea, right? Yeah. Like, and I think that's I, I like that. I like that about this movie. It's and it gives movie. the movie an uh, you know an admittedly unsubtle social edge, but it does at least have that. <clears throat> and like I said. There'd probably be a lot of comic book nerds that said Weapon X should just be its own movie. Phoenix should just be its own movie. Uh, you know, the the <clears throat> mutant registration should just be the own movie. Uh, I think that the fact that they're ambitious enough to do all of it at once, and as far as I know, I haven't bumped into too many people who are comic book fans who says X-Men 2 sucks. I, uh, most people hold this as the high watermark uh, for the X-Men franchise, so... It's interesting. The other thing you were saying about it being connected to Days of Future Past, I had a very similar thought with all of the uh, Alan Cumming stuff, the way he was phasing in and out of reality. They kind of mm -hmm. do that again and almost uh, double down on it for Days of Future Past with all those weird portal fights that are happening mm. towards the end of that movie. Great scenes in that movie. So, so I really... That, in my, you know, I'm, I may be playing my hand here. I know that we, we pick our favorites later on, but I, I think that the middle movies of both sets are, are some of the better Very ones. Very strong, yeah. But, uh, so then then we, I want to just mention a couple things really quickly. We haven't yet mentioned James Marsden, <laughs> uh, who's, you know, Cyclops. Oh, right, he's in that movie. Well, that's the thing. There was this whole controversy. <laughs> this is the last... Well, no, he sh appears very briefly in X-Men 3, but that character has largely been like the thing that, that's wall-to-wall -wall criticized in the X-Men franchise. Is it the character? Is it the performance? Is it both? Why do we not care about Scott? Um, it's... Oh. It's a really tough character... Well, he's a tough character to like uh, if you don't have him uh, on his own as the leader, developing into that leader um, as part of your story. And when your hero is Wolverine, who is, you know, everything he's not and everything the ladies want, then all that character is reduced to is being the not Wolverine. Yeah, you know he's the stick in the mud. He's the boyfriend in the way. He, he's he, the he two, thinks, the tight ass. The you know he, he becomes comic relief. He thinks and, of himself as a cool sort of superhero badass, and then he gets his girlfriend stolen by a cooler, better superhero badass, <laughs> but not in a way that we necessarily feel bad about him. But really, he's precision, right? Like he's you know in the comics, that's his whole thing. Is he is. You know he's and they kind of they kind of get into this a little bit in the second series. You, you see him, you know they turn they attempt to do a better job of his story, but uh, you know he's he, he's one of those people who um, has to maintain control or else people die. 
you know, that's that's the 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 other edge of his massive power sword, right? Is that if he does, if he, you know, lets go of it, people die. And I mean, they they do a little flash of that in the first one with where they take his visor away, and you know, oh, it's his weakness that without his visor. But that's almost it's it's not done like it's his fault, right? right. Like it's no fault of his that his visor gets taken away. It's yeah. the villains do that. So it's not like he's losing control and, but I mean, he, like he could incinerate anyone. He arguably could kill Wolverine. Yeah. You know, I, I, I know that uh, I may be setting ourselves up for a massive, you know, backlash, uh, backlash of comments, but, um, you know, there are, there are a very finite number of things that could kill Wolverine and burning him on an atomic level, which could conceivably do would would, would be could, the could, job. could do that you know like but again it just sucks <laughs> that in the end of the day he's basically just a guy who's in a love triangle and he's the guy we're not really cheering for and that basically yeah. becomes the sum total of what he contributes to this entire franchise um well and and to the point where he's like tossed away in the most well, let, we'll get there. <laughs> That's yeah, in the like, next movie. Uh, basically, the movie culminates in, in Famke Johansson sacrificing herself to save the rest of the X-Men, but we're given a very unsubtle hint over the end credits <laughs> that the phoenix is being born beneath this lake. Um, yeah, really strong middle chapter. I don't have much more to say about X2. Do you want to move on to the last stand? Um... The one thing I do find that's interesting, I, I I I actually like the way they do the Dark Phoenix in these as opposed to how it was handled in the comics, where it's actually a cosmic entity that right. bonds with her. Like she bonds with this thing in outer space, and it she saves them from a in a space shuttle that's crashing. Is when is is a different story. It's not the raging waters that she holds back and it right. and sacrifices. Like she burns up. Uh, basically um, protecting the space shuttle from burning up on re-entry, but in order to do that, she kind of has this entity that bonds with her, and that's that's that whole story. But I, I prefer this, that it was always there, that it's her latent ability. You know, when you think about, um, you know, like Charles Xavier is a telepath first and a telekinetic second, right? Like he can move things with his mind, but not, but his real power is his, uh, ability to read minds and get into minds and Jean is the flip side she's uh she, she can, can manipulate get into the minds world. and read minds in a minor way but she can especially what like her phoenix thing is she can she can do telekinesis on an atomic level so she can rip things apart atom by atom she can push two atoms together and create uh you know, a, a friction fire, like that's, that's her, that's the flame and everything is, she's a pyrokinetic and, and a telekinetic to the point where she can create firestorms out of rubbing atoms together kind of thing, like with right. her mind. And that's like, that's terrifying. Right. And the only thing I've ever seen that I thought did a good, as good a job as kind of that terrifying of that idea is, um, uh, Hellboy, the, right. the pyrokinetic in there. I thought that was similarly brilliantly handled not go too far off into other comic books anyway yeah but yeah like that's i think that's kind of i don't know i mean there's some there's just there's lots of really good scenes in this movie the i don't there's not a single 
you know, whereas in the first one, there's a lot of stuff where I go, mm, you know, right. I, I look past that scene. Like, there's um, not a lot of filler, and a lot of the filler that is there is for it's forgivable filler, it's understandable filler in some ways. There's a lot yeah. of topics, there's a lot of things to nudge, there's a lot of characters, there's a lot of fanboys out there that want to be winked at, and they do it fairly cleanly. I agree. Yeah. Of the first three movies, which is, you know, the first sort of era of X-Men, this is cleanly and easily the best of. Yeah, that, that scene, the Magneto escape scene is another one of my, like, just, yeah. I love that scene. Just the tiniest so piece of metal is all he needs. And yeah. he's a free man. <laughs> We're going to protect our citizens. Make no mistake, my brothers. The humans will draw first blood. And the air is still, and the light has fallen. There's only one question you must answer. Who will you stand with? A major pharmaceutical company has developed a way to suppress the mutant X gene permanently. They're calling it a cure. There's nothing to cure. Nothing's wrong with any of us for that matter. You of all people know how fast the weather can change. Did you find what you were looking for? The source of the cure is a mutant. More powerful than you. Logan! Gee, something woke her. But she has to be controlled. You know, sometimes when you cage the beast, I can't do this. The beast gets angry. that this world has never witnessed. Magneto's got an army out there. So as you were just saying, Brock, uh, Brian Singer decided he did not want to participate in X-Men 3. He needed to go reinvent Superman, and clearly that was the greatest Superman movie ever made. That's the one that everyone talks about and remembers, right? No. But he took James Marsden with him. Uh, Marsden showed up here briefly in this movie, but it's it's interesting how, like I said, part two benefited from all of the work that was done in part one, but whereas I thought it took the work done in part one and built on it and made it a bigger, better, more interesting movie. X3 is a little bit the opposite of that, where they took all of the goodwill, all of the good stuff that, that they built upon in X2 and made it into a quick crowded kind of nonsensical wrap-up of the trilogy and for a movie that has such epic events as like spoilers professor x getting <laughs> killed right uh gene gray getting killed all of these like major deaths cyclops being killed i couldn't help but feel like i didn't feel anything Nothing that was happening made me feel anything. And crazy shit was happening. And I wasn't yeah. feeling anything. And yet, I saw moments that I really kind of liked. I could sort of see this under shadow movie where it could have maybe almost been good. I really liked seeing the, the young versions of, of Magneto and, and Professor X. Uh, when, mm -hmm. when they first meet Jean Grey and seeing how powerful she was even as a little girl. Uh, mm -hmm. I really like the scene with Ben Foster as Angel, who's this tearful, well, originally it's the kid, younger kid playing him at first, 
tearfully trying mm-hmm. to cut off his own wings because he's so ashamed that his mutation has manifested and his father is of course a big anti-mutant proponent uh there yeah. were little moments of the movie that really worked you know but overall um, i gotta say it was a huge huge disappointment and it's hard not to put it all at the feet of Brett Ratner, <laughs> but uh, uh, I'm I'm happy to hear a second opinion. <laughs> I mean, uh, aside, I mean, if you're gonna, I mean, you could maybe say, well, some of the actors phoned it in, but that's not. I mean, if any, if it's anyone's job to get a performance out of an actor, it's the director's, yeah. right? And, and the screenwriting, I, I think there were probably there's probably a stronger script than it got made into the movie as well i think there were some you know there's some famous things that were done to it that were directorial decisions that were directorial jags that went off in different directions that fell on their face that were not in the script yeah um most notably the i'm the juggernaut bitch uh right uh, you know of of infamy I guess I get casting Vinnie Jones as Juggernaut. Like, he's got this <laughs> pronounced forehead and he looks like a mean, tough son of a bitch, but he does not look like he wants to be there. He does not look like he's happy with the uniform. He doesn't, you know, again, it's good for his career, but he didn't feel comfortable with it. It's the same pained expression I see on, on Brad Pitt's face in that interview with the vampire movie. He just, he knows this is good for his career, but he's not comfortable here. And I see that on a lot more faces in this movie than I have in any of the other X Men movies. Yeah, a lot of the, a lot of the, you know, like you know, the Halle Berry's and whatnot too. They just look tired. Like yeah. they just, you know, they don't look like, you know. I, and again, I, I don't know if that's just that they were used to working a certain way, and all of a sudden, you know, Ratner comes in, and it's, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know what his directorial style is, but. Um, you know, there certainly seemed to be some some loyalty to to Singer in the whole whole mix, right? You know? I think he felt like all the work was done, so he did not have to do any work. He was just playing with action yeah. figures at this point. It's yeah. interesting. We're three reviews in, and how much time have we spent talking about Storm? None, right? Like practically none, other than her accent was wonky in the first movie. And I think this is one of those characters that that really is kind of cool and interesting in a comic book world, but it's harder to fit in anything appro- approaching the real world. Whereas Marvel sort of found a solution around around Thor, the god of thunder. They managed to crack the code on that. The X-Men have never really cracked the code on Storm. That's why I don't really put the fault of it on Halle Berry. If you gave her something to do, maybe she would do it, you know? <laughs> but she has just got nothing, nothing to do well, here. There's a huge power level problem in X-Men as well. Um, you have characters that have massively, like, massively more powerful abilities than others, but they all want to, you know, whatever. And, I mean, Storm is one of those characters that should be, you know, she's incredibly in the series, powerful. She's considered to be, you know... The, or like she's the second in command. She takes she, when they split the X Men into two teams. She leads the second team. Cyclops takes one team and she takes the other in. Uh, whatever one of the third in. One of the one of them anyway. Uh, when Cyclops, well yeah, at the beginning of this one, when Cyclops is falling on his face, Xavier Charles Xavier says, "You're the leader." 
you have a clear choice. And I mean, it, it's not sellable. It doesn't go, it falls on its face in the movie, but I mean, that's, that's canonically, you know, she was worshiped she, in the, in the comic books, she lived in Africa and she was worshiped as a goddess for her ability to manipulate weather. Um, famously, she is a paramour of black Panther, you right. know, like they have a kid together, I think in, in, in one of the timelines or something with that, like she's, she is a seriously one of the more powerful mutants that is supposed to be in the thing. And she's a, you know, does these little zippy zappy, you know, Oh, we need fog. Better call. Yeah. Better call storm. She's like, you know, it's like, she's the Aquaman of them, right? Like, Oh, we have a water adventure. Better call Aquaman. But either crack (laughs) the code or don't use the X-Men. You didn't have to use every single X-Men. You could have saved storm. You know, you could have, or, or do something with her if you're going to have her. The other thing is, and I know we've done a terrible job of the plot <laughs> of this movie, but um, there's a serum that could possibly cure, quote, cure mutants' <laughs> powers. Um, and one of the things that I don't buy, and I don't think, even, even as a limited X-Men fan, is Magneto basically considering you an enemy if you become human. If you don't have any mutant powers... He's done with you in this movie. Mm-hmm. Even like, even Mystique, when Mystique gets dosed and her powers go away, he yeah. turns his back on her ice cold. Everything we know about him before this and everything we know about him after this tells us he would not do that. He cares about Mystique. He loves her. He would protect her at the very least. She's been on board with him from ground zero pretty much. And he's going to just all of a sudden, oh, not a mutant. I don't give a shit. No. It's a powerful villain beat for a movie if you don't mm-hmm. understand who Magneto is. But if you Wait. do understand who Magneto is, that's a bullshit moment. And you know that the creators didn't consider it. Which which is funny because um, there is a great... The, the, the part where um, he loses control of... Uh, of Jean, yeah, and and she's gonna rip reality in half, and he's like, "Oh God, what have I done?" <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, and I think that's that's why. I mean, uh, any superhero movie is only as good as its villain. Yeah, hard stop. It's why it's why Age of Ultron is a ter- is is the worst of the Avengers movies. It's right. a boring villain. It does nothing little wooden man they make all the pinocchio things in the ads and that's the truth it's like you know a robot wanting to wanting to be better than its creator is still a robot yeah it's boring but um you know the the magneto is not he's not fighting for something that nobody agrees with in watching the movie there are people who watch the movie and they go Fuck that! You know, if they're if 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 government forces were coming to fucking take me and my my family just for me being me, fuck that! I would fight that. Yeah. You know, and and he's not. You know, and I think they really, I think they do an excellent job of expanding on that in the second uh, trilogy. But um, you know, that is you're right. I think you know, it's like the the whole idea that he would just turn his back on Mystique. I think he would he would. Um, you know, a more powerful thing to do would be to, you know, swear to her that he would fix her, that he would heal her, that he would bring her back, that yeah. he would help her become who she's supposed to be again. 
Exactly. That that to me seems would be a more fitting thing. But yeah, you know that that whole. But you know, I guess that's that's part of it is that they, you know, they're not every decision is a good decision, and it's a it's it's supposed to be it's it's intended to be a powerful moment, but it isn't. Much the same way that the um, scene with uh, with with uh, Cyclops is supposed to be a powerful moment and isn't. Yeah, very uh, very first the only act scene of the movie. First act Partially. of the movie, Scott goes to the site of, of Jean's death and is confronted by her in this weird sort of looks almost demonic phoenix kind of vision. And they kiss, she takes off his glasses, she looks him in the eye and obliterates him. And again, yeah. I go back to where I started here. These are two characters that we, we've spent two and a little bit movies with that we should care about. And one just killed the other. And I didn't feel anything at all i don't even know like i don't even know how that's possible (laughs) you know i should be even if it was lame i should be mad that they killed him off in a lame way i felt nothing but would you have felt any more if you if they'd have killed him in the first or second movie no maybe not maybe it was just another echo of just the failure of that character in its entirety although i did like professor x and again he he gets obliterated in this movie i similarly it's shocking to see him go that quick like early ish in the movie but uh at, at the same time i didn't feel like that oh fuck in me you know like did that just happen i wasn't like it wasn't a gas moment it was just another scene happened and now it looks like professor x is gone yeah no you're right it's it's poorly handled. Um, what uh, say something about? There's something I was going to say about when you were talking about. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Um, the reason that Cyclops is such a hard character to get behind, though, it's funny though, because the same reason that Superman is a terrible character and can't be. You, no one cares about Superman. People people don't like Superman. Contrary to every whatever attempted movie and comic books. People don't honestly like Superman. They like the idea of Superman. <laughs> yeah, but... yeah, but but as soon as you see him on the screen, he's goofy. Yeah, and it's stupid. Like they haven't been able to do a super and and Marsden is Superman. You, you know him going off. <laughs> you know, oh, I'm gonna drop this silly role and take on this one, and you know, almost I don't know, probably end his career in some ways. Well, but, I can um... see sticking with Brian Singer at the time again, not knowing what we do now, but like. He yeah. made Usual Suspects, and he did the like, Ash Pupil, and these X Men movies were were like he was sort of sticking with the director he knew was you know a good meal ticket for him. I see it on that perspective anyway. My friend no, but, and yours, but but you, it it's almost impossible to actually actively cheer for Superman, yeah, because you don't like him, yeah, because because he he does not embody anything that we in a modern society really. I mean. He's he, an alien. He's supposed to. He's supposed to. He's supposed to be the ideal. He's the American dream made flesh. But the American dream, in, in its you know actuality, for ninety percent of the people in the world these days, is 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 a pipe dream. It's a failure. Is a you know a, a crowbar that beats them on the back of the neck too. So I'll be damned if an alien's gonna be my American dream. But yeah, you know, like, but it's you know, like, uh, you you ask me. You know, if you were to ask me, like, you know, name six Batman stories that I find compelling, I would rattle them off in under 30 seconds. If you asked me to name one Superman story, I'd have to think about it for a while, and I'd probably be like, Death the man Superman. who did everything, which is the only one I actually like. Yeah. The only Superman story of any of them that I actually like. Well, And 
I have read a lot of Superman. I've watched a lot of Superman. There's a couple of them that I like. There's a couple of ways he's been handled a couple of times that I like. But I don't enjoy he's 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 too he's an all power he's a Jesus, all powerful, he's a god on earth. Yeah. What you know, any any Superman story with any kind of pathos is one where his powers have to be first taken away. They have to take his powers away. And then you go, Oh, now he's just a normal schmuck like us, ha ha you know, like now you feel far. But anytime he has this power, there's no like nothing should ever. There's no there's no real challenge to it. Yeah, I see what Cyclops you're saying is, for sure. Cyclops is he's not Superman. He's got limited powers, and he's not that same powerful level. But he's 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 the he's the quarterback of the football team. He's not the outsider in the story. He's he's the establishment guy. Yeah, and he's boring. He has no good line. All of his lines are he's got straight man lines against Hugh Jackman yeah and he loses badly all of the time yeah yeah you don't ever see him saving the day or succeeding or doing in like every now and then he has a you know he, he maybe gets one like decent ricochet shot with his laser laser eyes or whatever and it's like you know he's 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 the glue. He's the leader. He calls the shots. Yeah. In, so all in, across in the, the board, team. they've just failed with that character is what yeah. you've been so, telling me is <laughs> basically, um, I, I guess I'd have to agree because again, I felt nothing when he, when he died. Um, and yeah. I said the flaw of the first movie in a lot of ways, was it being a stupid over the top comic book finale with the big fight at the top of the empire state building in this movie, he takes like the, the, uh, San Francisco golden gate bridge and levitates it across to get to uh, the rock so that this big action spectacular can take place. Your friend and mine, Kevin Stiller, is an extra in this movie. And every time I watch the movie, I try to spot him in the end action <laughs> sequence as one of the soldiers that gets melted into nothing by one of the... <laughs> you can't see him because nothing matters. Nothing that happens in the action matters. There's almost nothing to focus on. Again, well, that, this is a child smashing the, action right. figures together and hoping that's enough. There's well, and, no and skills they, they do this it. whole the the lesser mutants or whatever the the fodder as, as Magneto calls him. He's like, you know, he has the the lesser mutations that he wants to go be the you know, the you know the, the um, soak up the, the bullets kind yeah. of thing in the in the beginning of it. And but there's like, yeah, there's like you know. 300 these crappy mutants in their hoodies backing soldiers and it doesn't matter like none of it matters you're watching it and you're like i don't know you don't know any and who cares why do they need like <laughs> you have epic level abilities you know and it's drop um, the golden gate bridge on them then and again this is not my magneto he wouldn't sacrifice pawns or if he did he wouldn't do it smugly you know, yeah. he believes in this cause. He cares about mutants. He cares about mutants. <laughs> and that but, is yeah, completely if gutted. Got the, if you've got the Golden Gate Bridge there, you know, you have all the metal you need to, to destroy. Do whatever you need. The, he, can I, yeah, the, like the, the... he can destroy a prison <laughs> with a piece of metal the size of a marble. Okay, now yeah. he has the yeah. Golden Gate Bridge. Uh, yeah, this movie is a dog. It's just dog vomit. I don't like it. Yeah, <laughs> is I guess uh, and, where I and land. the juggernaut and the, you know they bring in they they do you know they. This is a one too where they bring in too many of the other kids. Like oh well, we haven't seen Colossus really. We need Colossus. No, we haven't really gotten as much of, um, you know, 
Bobby and all the other ones yet. Oh yeah, we need them. Oh, Kitty Pride. We need Kitty Pride. Oh, okay, well she was she, she runs through walls. Okay, well let's have a scene where she's running through walls and the juggernaut's chasing her. But... None of it matters though. None of it matters. I like I like Juno. You know I like seeing Canadian talent in movies, but not like none of the action of the, the central like climactic battle really feels connected in any way or leading to some sort of apex. It's just like, yeah. here's an action beat with a character that you want to see, and here's another action beat with a character you want to see, and it's all disparate. Um, I, I I wish I could say that you could just skip this one, but it kind of completes the story. But the infamy of The Last Stand, uh, even though, like I say, there are isolated moments that are good, is that this is the X-Men movie so bad that the next trilogy had to bend over backward to retrofit the universe of the X-Men to ensure that none of the events here actually took place. Uh, that's the kind of great thing you can get away with in a comic book series. Can you get away with it in a series of movies? Well, I guess we will continue to discuss, but I cannot discourage you enough about X-Men 3. The cost of freedom is always high. No one can foresee precisely what cost it will take. One path we shall never choose, and that is the path of surrender. You ready for this? Let's find out. Carefully, my friend. Killing will not bring you peace. Peace was never an option. So much like the original X-Men movie, First Class had a big uphill battle to get. We, we had to reorient with our old characters with a new cast while still being connected to the original trilogy and uh, moving the timeline back like 30 years. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, all of that tough to do. And uh, I felt pretty good with Matthew Vaughn's uh, first class pretty quickly. We open right back in Auschwitz with uh, the younger version of Magneto and we see what happens after he is cold cocked by those guards. And he's brought mm -hmm. to a Nazi scientist played by... The increasingly hostile Kevin Bacon. He's been doing a lot of villain roles, and I think he's good at it. <laughs> he's sort of gone full circle from the charming dude who you want to cheer for to the scumbag that you want to see fail. <laughs> but uh, he does both of the ends of the spectrum quite well, and uh, this is another example I, of it. I've always thought he does scumbag better than a good guy by a, by a long shot. But Did you ever see The River Wild? Like a Meryl Streep thriller from like the 90s. She's like going river rafting with her family and Kevin Bacon and a bunch of his buddies are like escaped prisoners. And yeah, anyway, it's one of the first times I remember seeing him play a really bad dude and I thought he did quite well at it. Yeah, yeah, okay. That's... But anyway, he's really strong, but I feel immediately connected back to that first movie. This doesn't feel like we're in a different universe. So that when we jump ahead and we see him aged into Michael Fessbender, and when we see, you know, McAvoy playing young 
Professor X, we buy into it fairly quickly. They also probably couldn't have done better for recasting McKellen and, and, and Patrick than with Mac oh, yeah. and Fessbender. I mean, who are the best British actors working today? And if those are the two names that come to mind, really. Like, maybe Gary Oldman, but he's too old, <laughs> right? It, it's, uh, you're at, no, you're right there. Like, and, um, uh, Fassbender is, it, this is one of my favorite things he's ever done. I love, I love him in, in this set of movies. I think he just does such an amazing job. It's a trickier thing to do than I think people realize. There's a scene where Michael Fassbender as Magneto is standing on the back of a train and he lifts his arm and he you know, grips his fingers and the train track behind the train starts being lifted off of the ground in this amazing yeah. special effects sequence. As an actor... After days, it's so good. It's such yeah. a good scene. But as an actor, what what he really is doing is probably on a platform being hit by wind <laughs> and he's just making a face and waving his arms. Okay? Mm-hmm. He's got to sell all that power, all that innate ability, all of that anger, all of that... Like, before the special effects get in, he's just a dude waving his arms on a set. And that shit is not easy to do. They do give him good beats and good emotional points and acting, and he does, you know, be able to administrate a very personal revenge (laughs) on the Kevin Bacon character. But we kind of get into the psychology of Magneto way deeper than we have in any other movies. Yeah. Yeah, well, and and it's... um... It's interesting because the the villains in all three, you know, back to my earlier point about uh, good villain makes a good movie. The the actual villains or the people held up as villains, um, while villainous, honestly, I think take second fiddle to the girls <laughs> of both Charles and uh, Eric to um, maintain their principles, right? To become who they are without betraying what they are. And I think that's the true struggle in it. I don't think, you know, like um, the Sebastian Shaw Hellfire Club, I mean, uh, what's her name Uh, as the white queen, Queen, uh, January Jones is... uh, I thought she was kind of flat, personally. Yeah, they're a whole, oh, we're you know, trying to manipulate things with children of the atom, trying to manipulate a nuclear war, which is canon. Like that, that they are characters that, and that's what they tried to do. That's the, there's more to it, obviously than that in the comics. And they don't really get, uh, they get shuffled out. Um, you know, the, the remainders once Magneto has had his revenge, of, you know, the other characters basically get the old, Oh, and they died, you know, going into the second movie, which is not, I don't think a fair shake for characters that they spent a bit of time trying to kind of build you up on and, you know, say, Hey, this is a new crop and whatever. Oh, they're gone. Let's go on to some new ones. Yeah. But, (laughs) but, um, I don't know. I mean, that's part, I don't know how you would reintroduce, you know, it would have been too many active characters in the second movie with all the time jumping crisscrossing as well too. So, I, you know, I, I think from an efficiency perspective, it kind of almost had to be done just to keep the character count at a reasonable level, but it still seemed a little uh, little tacked on. We um, we do see the groundwork of, you know, what forms 
the sort of extreme, almost terroristic, vengeful side of, of Magneto and the, you know, organized, let's work with people mentality of a much more hippy-dippy, much more eccentric version <clears throat> of Professor X than we're used to seeing. But a question sort of occurs to me. We see in this movie, spoilers, how he ends up in the, in the chair, at least according to the uh, movie storyline. I seem to remember, and again, I'm not an X-Men, like, super genius, or, or, or I don't know a lot of the details about it, but I remember reading that Professor X's power was of his mind was so all-encompassing that it actually inhibited his physical prowess. <laughs> Uh, it was almost like he was that 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 villain, the brain, you know. Um, well, they retcon it in the second one, though, where he when he takes the the inhibitor stuff, he can walk again. Whereas in the first one, they pretty much flat out say uh, Magneto deflects the bullet and it severs his spine. Yeah. So I don't know that. Yeah, I don't know. I, I I don't know if they just decided that they didn't want to make that choice, or they wanted to have that be something that they could. Make, make that more jarring to that view. It's like the has powers, doesn't have powers, yeah. you know, like to actually show that dichotomy. But, um, you know, fan it, theory here, and again, I think this gets revisited in the next movie with his, quote, drug addiction to the cure or whatever to help him mm -hmm. walk. Uh, he can walk or, or he can have his powers is basically the yeah, choice that he's yeah. forced to make. But is being put in the chair by accident, which it was clearly an accident, in some ways, a thing that was in the long term good <laughs> for that character would Professor X have become Professor X without the chair? Mm. Yeah, that's a hard one to say. Yeah, I think you're. I think that's a that's a valid point. I don't know. Like it's a, it's such a. You know, if you're gonna go back and do that, like he he had it all. And then, so yeah, so then I guess you're saying that he had like minor powers, then he lost his legs because of the accident, and that forced him to become more of a psychic. But but then, you know, why does it have, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's just, tough. It's tough. I pick a road and drive it, right? Like, don't don't jump back and forth. It, it muddies it. It's, oh. a, it's a small criticism, but I it does, it rankles. It's weird. Um, the thing I do like about these movies though too is the Moira McTaggart character she's a lot of Rose fun Byrne. especially in the first one and she and really feels responsible because she pulls the trigger on that that would cause us yeah. to, to take that wound I like her too and of course we have Jennifer Lawrence Hollywood's very favoriteest person these days playing Mystique um, I don't know I, I mean I think she's fine in the movie but I mean I thought Rebecca Romaine Stamus was, was fine as Mystique as well like I don't know what she brings to it. Like she looks, she looks good as Mystique, as I guess everybody would have already guessed. Um, and she's not bad in it, but I don't know. I wasn't as excited about Jennifer Lawrence as Mystique as I guess most teenage boys seem to be. Um, well, and it's that that whole. I mean, I guess it's the if you could turn yourself into any girl for your base human form that you walk around in 90% of the time, that's who she chooses, right? Like right. that's, um, and I mean, Jennifer Lawrence can act. We, we've, you know, and they definitely give just, Mystique a lot more to do than we've ever seen before. And that's probably yeah, directly because roles, they have right? Jennifer Lawrence. But again, I don't, I'm not saying anything bad or good about her performance, but 
I guess what I'll say is I saw Mystique. Maybe that's a good thing then. Maybe I, I wasn't lost in it. I was just like, there's the, the blue lady who can change shape. But I wasn't definitely like, oh my God, she was amazing in the role. <laughs> but I, you know, sort of similar with I, Romaine. But I mean, there there is a, there is a, there is a redemption to it, you know, uh, and there's, it's, there's a, it's a role that had, it had to be able to be acted. I don't know that, you know, I don't think Rebecca Romine Steinless could, could act her way out of a paper bag, really. So I don't, I think that's, you know, they had to have somebody, I don't know that it had to be her, but I think she does it admirably. She does a decent job at it. They um, give her some good action sequences and some, yeah, she's got lots enough to do. Um, yeah, like, you know, the, the, and again, the special effects are like just a whole, like, you know, you've got the Azazel character who's, you know, basically who's the Nightcrawler teleporter. So you get to the, have those fun scenes, except he has, he's uh, not a nice person. So you see what a villain with those powers would do, do. And that's really horrifying. Yeah. Um, you know, um, oh, wait, no, I'm getting ahead of myself now. That's, just, that's the next one. I was going to say Quicksilver. But he's no, not no, we'll talk about that in the next movie. I also yeah, think yeah. it's interesting, like, I was being really hard on X-Men 3. I don't think unfairly, but I was pretty hard on that movie. Uh, okay. I but, think that was completely <laughs> reasonable. Uh, but it, it's over-vilifying Magneto and sort of, like, his complexity is that we can almost side with him. It's interesting how in the end of this movie, Magneto makes all of the wrong choices, almost going too far. Like if really, if, if, if you and Xavier or if you and Charles are, are, are any kind of friends, do you leave him possibly dying and bleeding out on that beach and fly away with this? Like there's something incredibly cold about it. But unlike in X-Men 3, it didn't piss me off and it didn't make me write off the character as evil. Like, I think maybe this is something that he'll probably feel guilty about. This is something like, this is a clear drawing a line in the sand between those two characters. And part mm -hmm. of it was not just it being a difference of opinion, but making it personal by leaving him there and not, you know, being a friend anymore. Their, their difference in opinion has eclipsed their companionship, you know? Yeah. And that's, uh, that is, it's the, it is a, it's a growing apart movie, right? Yeah. And, uh, and that's, again, the, the, the actual, you know, the villain of Sebastian Shaw and him on paper, the Black King or whatever you want to call him, uh, Kevin Bacon's character, he doesn't have to do anything except, you know, be menacing and, you know, have, have bad powers and they, you know, he gets his, uh, yeah, it's the how Magneto gets his helmet. It's a neat story, um, et cetera, et cetera. But again, we uh, see Magneto making the exact wrong decision with that character, right? He doesn't have yeah. to kill that guy, but he does kill that guy, and he does it slowly and personally with the coin, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah. And it's the wrong thing to do, but we understand why he does it, and we don't hate him for it. <laughs> well, it's it's a selfish decision. Yeah. It's and it's the it's the key it's the key dividing line between a hero and a villain. A hero is selfless. A hero, a villain is selfish, and, and it, that's that's where they draw those lines between them. It illustrates how they did everything right with Magneto in this movie and everything wrong with Magneto in the previous one. Oh yeah, and and again, right? Like I, it's not 
I don't think in any of these movies the villains are anything other than a backdrop for the struggle between... Well, I shouldn't say that. The third one... I don't think Magneto has much really real things to do because he's controlled. Right. But Apocalypse is pretty pretty villainous, I guess. He, you know, much more so than... You know, like Trask in the second one is not really that important. He's complicated, at least, though. Really? I in, didn't think in, so. In the second one? Well, we'll get I there. I don't think he's... Well, anyway, we'll get there. Uh, anyway, a fairly solid, you know, entry point. Well done, Matthew Vaughn. Uh, the cast uniformly strong. Paid... Yeah. Good lip service to, you know, new fans, but didn't completely abandon the previous entries. So all in all, uh, well done, first class. Yeah, and I, I think if nothing else, it uh, forced a lot of people to learn about uh, some recent U.S. history that they probably, you know, uh, had, <laughs> had for forgotten, good, for, foregone in, in high school uh, in favor of, uh, you know, wondering about... Uh, hippity hop music and, and all that stuff that kids be into these days <laughs> we're so corrupt what's the last thing you remember I had a glimpse into the past You're going to have to do for me what I once did for you. You'll need me as well. Side by side to end this war. Before it ever begins. So, I wake up in my younger body and then what? Find me. Convince me of all of this. It's going to take the two of us. And where do I find you? A different path. A darker path. Logan, I was a very different man. Lead me. Guide me. Be patient with me. Patience isn't my strongest suit. So the the Days of Future Past is one of these ones where when I try to even describe the plot to people, I feel like I'm going to induce a nosebleed in myself. Whereas the previous Probably. movie was all set in the past, this movie starts in the future, and an incredibly grim future at that. It's it's like that uh, that meme with uh, with Charlie from uh, Always Sunny in Philadelphia, where he's got the conspiracy board and he's trying to explain it to somebody. That meme that they, that yeah, they use that when it's like when you're trying to explain something how complex you, it you, is. Yeah, the the X Men have been all but extinguished. There's just a few of them waiting for these Sentinels to find them and and kill them all off. And this last Hail Mary pass is uh, Kitty Pride is going to use her powers to mentally project Wolverine into a younger version of himself, where he yeah. will talk to the younger version of Charles. And Magneto and uh, try and stop the Sentinel program from getting off the ground, which all has to do with them capturing Mystique and somehow bottling her powers. Well, or, or stopping her from murdering Trask, which Trask. is the, the key event that sets off the program. Right. Um, so, yeah, there's it's a tough premise to sell, but in its defense, 
incredibly comic book. <laughs> this is exactly the kind of shit that they would do without batting an eye in a comic book because they don't have to worry about things like continuity and budgets for their next issue, right? Well, and you know, it's funny because uh, for all of the whatever about it, you, you can't argue with it because um, it does it within its own rules, right? Yeah. Like it, it, it rewrites the history, but it rewrites the history by the comic book rules. It's like um, the Star Trek movies, like Abrams Star Trek movies. It's like fans can't complain because he followed the rules. Yeah, He did it within the rules of the universe. I mean, you can complain. You can complain from an artistic and level. And they will. Can't go, that can't happen in the Star Trek universe. You go, well. It has. In episode, yeah. <laughs> you know, blah, blah, blah. Is that, you know, and, and you're right. Like, uh, this is the kind of stuff that they could easily, you know, it would be, uh, it, you know, this is an X-Men title. So it would have been probably over a year, maybe a year and a half. And it would have crossed. 15 or 16 different titles and you'd had to have collected them all to get the whole story. Right. But this is, a, this is exactly a, you're right. It's a comic book story. It would be exactly how they do it in the thing. Yeah. And the action is the, the special effects and the action in this one, especially the future fight scenes with this, the Sentinels and the, the, the hopeless mutants getting, you know, slowly beaten down and, and, we and see all of our over and over and over killed. again is, is gut punching yeah. every time you see it, like characters you like watching them get killed multiple times in different ways is it's it very much puts that ticking timer you know like and that is you know there is this time you know this, this yeah. hail mary pass has a has a ticking timer on it and you the feel sentinels it. are gonna find them and kitty pride who is once again she's been wounded by wolverine in one of his little i'm asleep and lashing out attacks uh yeah. she's on a clock if she's gonna lose consciousness from blood loss and break and the, the sever the, yeah. the the psychic link or the Sentinels are going to find them and kill her before it gets executed. Um, and yeah, what we see, I won't, without spoiling spe too much specific right away anyway, is a complete retcon. By the end of this movie, uh, we find out mutants are out of the closet now instead of, you know, in the late 90s, in the early yeah. 70s. Right? So uh, everything... Uh... Or, late 70s early 80s i think it, yeah or, okay but completely changing the timeline from that point yeah. forward uh so when wolverine wakes up in the new era he's back at xavier's school scott's there uh gene gray's there everybody's everything's reset and looks to be at least in this point at a pace of a place of genuine you know okayness no one's attacking the school today uh, and everything has been fixed. So it starts in an incredibly convoluted, complex place, and it basically delivers us to where we would have been if the original trilogy had not ended so terribly. <laughs> A lot gets lost in this retcon, but considering what it accomplished, considering the stakes, considering the acting and the complex narrative that they were asking us to follow, and we haven't even begun to talk about the show-stopping sequence with Cliff Quicksilver, I think that this movie is easily the best of the second trilogy. Uh, and uh, I, I, yeah, I, I hold it in high esteem. It, again, it has so many great scenes. It has, uh, you know, that Quicksilver scene. Time in um, a bottle, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and it's funny because, I mean, there's that whole thing where the two guys that have played Quicksilver, the one in the event, like, they both kind of tried to do 
you know, show that whole super speed. Um, it's so much better done, you know, in this. It's, um, oh, and I guess also the Flash, they've done it, but it, I don't like to talk about those movies because I don't like them at all. <laughs> it didn't happen. It never happened. I, I love DC stories. On a, on, like, I love those stories a lot. The Flash is flat out my favorite superhero. Oh, wow. And, and, uh, I love Batman too, but The Flash is like, he's, he's my guy. And, uh, yeah, they just, they shot the bed. Anyway, um, but the, the, that ability, that living at that speed, um, the consequences of that and the, 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 the insane power level that that actually is, is, really well demonstrated in, in you know in how they handle Quicksilver in it. It reminded they, me of the bullet time sequences they called it in the Matrix. Yeah. You know the first time we saw they took a shot at Neo and he dips backwards and everything slows down. The camera spins 360 around him as he dodges these bullets at a super slow or, or super speed. Mm-hmm. Uh, um and you remember thinking, like, in that movie, well, and that was amazing. Uh, why couldn't it be the whole movie? Well, because it was, like, groundbreaking, cutting edge, probably the most expensive few seconds of an incredibly expensive movie. <laughs> I think the same thing happens here, but even if they didn't do another scene like that, I felt the he sort of showed up, did that really flashy sequence where he saves the day with everybody by making all the guards knock themselves out and punch themselves out and moving the bullets out of the way of people who might get getting hit. Uh, and then he disappears from the movie, basically. They introduce him, they show him be amazing, and then he's gone. And that, that, that was kind of disappointing to me. Um, yeah, that's true. The, the, uh, I have I to look hard to find negative things Machina, to say. Though, right? like, yeah. If you have that guy, what well, can't you have? That's right. right. Like you that's, win, you win every that, scene, every second. That's part of the two-part problem, I guess. If I if there's a problem with the scene one, yeah, uh, from that sequence, that character is crazy overpowered, right? And two, the sequence, as great as it is, I did see it before. This is a consequence of me having kids. <laughs> have you ever seen Over the Hedge? yeah i think so there's a kid's movie steve carell has the squirrel and the whole movie he's this total spaz 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 and at the end of the movie in the great heist sequence they have him drink all this caffeine and like this crazy (laughs) pat and everything slows down for 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 everything except for him he's moving at normal speed and everything else slows down and it's a very charming kids movie and it's basically this sequence. <laughs> so uh, I don't know if they were deliberately borrowing from Over the Hedge. But if you want to have a laugh with your kids someday, you can do a lot worse than that one, by the way. Uh, um, uh, that sequence is kind of weirdly uh, not stolen, but uh, echoes another very uh, memorable sequence from a kid's movie. <laughs> just just wanted to mention it. <laughs> well, and I, I just, I th- again, I think that it's like the character was... Like to have Quicksilver be killed by bullets in the Avengers is such a silly thing to do when, you know, like you see him in this and it's like, he's like, oh, right, bullets are going to hit people. I almost forgot. Dude, do, 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 yeah. Moves them around. 
again and then, that's what becomes tricky like he becomes basically he can give you a centerpiece sequence but then he's got to get out of the way and unfortunately yeah. that becomes very obvious when we move on to the next movie yeah uh, they made a really impressive sequence and again it's all done to the song time and catch time in a bottle and it is just a show-stopping moment it is absolutely amazing but they've yeah. also, by making that amazing sequence, kind of painted themselves into a corner that I don't know they've um, yet solved. <laughs> it's yeah, still hard it, to complain about it, though. <laughs> yeah, it's it's such a. I love the second movie though because you get all of it. You get you get you know you get your Wolverine back, and it's they do these they do these great um, you know kinetic Yankee and King Arthur's cart moments of him bounced back and forth in time and not knowing where he is and. At one point he bounces back to the future and the old him wakes up and he's like, who are you? What's going on? You know? And yeah. it's like, I don't know. It's fun. It's such a, I, I really like this movie. And, uh, we haven't you know, really talked enough about McAvoy too. Uh, and again, very comic booky. There's a serum that gives him the use of his body, but suppresses his ability. And he acts very much like a junkie throughout the first half yeah. of the movie. And again, it goes, reinforces my little fan theory that part of what, Xavier needs part of what Professor X needs is the chair. If if he had the freedom to move and do as he would, he wouldn't mm-hmm. channel his energies in quite as positive a way, or or maybe in quite as effective a way. Uh, uh, but you know, in the scene where he reaches through time and talks to himself, what a great scene! Like what a what a great opportunity, know, well well executed. Yeah, the pep talk keeps. Do you are you ever watch? Uh, do you ever watch Graham Norton? No, you ever I watch guess that not. Show? No. It, it's um it's an incredibly charming talk show british talk show my wife has turned me on to she's watched them all my wife watched uh, them i think i've seen like excerpts on youtube but i've never actually seen a whole show of it they they actually at one point had um they had uh, uh fassbender and mcavoy on for the first half of a show and then he cut over and he had Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen for the second. Oh, nice. He goes, well, that was the longest intermission ever. Look how grown up everyone is. <laughs> <laughs> great. And it's like, you know, the only thing you, it, it's like one of those talk shows where they actually drink. So yeah. it's a lot of fun. It, you'd, I think you'd really like it. Cause it's, it's one of the few places I've ever seen actors uh, on a talk show talking to somebody and they talk to them like people, not like press releases. Yeah. It's not just what you I'm know, talking. It's not week. a junket show. They're actually like, they have to, you know, they have to actually interact and yeah they have drinks and stuff and sometimes silly things get said yeah. anyway that's my plug uh, for that we see um, the young version you know of what, the beast you know what's funny i was gonna say i just gotta say this i don't like beast in this no i, I was just about I, to bring him I find, up i don't like beast in this and we actually made it talking all the way about the excellent last stand we didn't, didn't mention, mention kelsey, kelsey grammar ouch well, that was one of the nice things to say about The Last Stand, too. So that was a missed opportunity. I wanted to find one or two, three nice things to say. I actually liked him fine in that uh, Beast doesn't have a lot to do. He's basically babysitting, uh, you know, junkie McAvoy for this movie. But uh, I do think that the the climactic sequences are pretty effective when the, the mutants out themselves in front of the world by saving the president. And uh, that scene with the... Wolverine being like perforated and then tossed into the water. It was like he's not an easy superhero to kill, but that that was <laughs> ow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh metal, hey? Yeah. <laughs> um yeah, and you were talking about um 
the the actor from Game of Thrones, Peter Dinklage, uh, and mm. this guy who is going to develop the Sentinel program and uh, his assassination sort of, although slowing down the Sentinel program, basically politicizing you know mutants as a real threat. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was an interesting angle that ended up being sort of the the slightest part of uh, of the narrative. Something was going to get short shift because you know time travel future alternate world paradoxes characters talking to them something was gonna like i get it but it's unfortunate that it was this particular corner of the movie well and and you know it's he's not he's not much more than a reimagination of straker and i i mean i know he's got some scenes where he does the whole like oh i've got a mutant detector i don't know why anyone fucking believes his mutant detector it looks like uh you know um a remote control for you know one of those old like remote control cars that could only go in two directions like one is backwards and turning and the other is forwards yeah um but but you know whatever it's 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 he he moves along that you know and they have the the whole nixon thing and that's fun um i don't know i like i like it yeah i think he does fine i just again right like i don't know how you you have this you know the 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 bad buddy cop Thing going on between Xavier and Magneto again, where he doesn't have his powers or he's giving his powers back. Um, you know, it's so complex. You know, Mystique is a, he's good in this. I think, I, you know, like you really feel for for the choices she's making. There's some, uh, you know, uh, everybody grows in this. That's yeah. another thing. Like all the characters. I mean, except for uh, Beast, who just grows hair. Yeah. Um, but you know, again, I, I didn't like Kelsey Grammer in the, in the whatever. I I don't like. I think the whole Beast character is kind of. I don't know. It just it's a hard thing to bring to screen, because he's, in a. He doesn't look anything but goofy, right? Ever, and it uh, you know I think the the closest they do to making doing a good job of it is the, where he's. Um, uh, bounce through the window and, and catches Magneto underwear and almost drowns him. Yeah. Um, and, and it's all done with the grainy, you know, the eight millimeter, you know, news films, or whatever, which is effective. It looks, uh, they do a lot of neat things to kind of reinforce the time, you know, the timeliness of it. I love the, the Bishop stuff in the future too. It's really good. He's, well, you know, they do some really fun stuff. And again, you talk about over silly characters. This is the age of guardians of the galaxy, right? Where we have a talking raccoon and a talking tree. Uh, I want to yeah. give points to those sentinel creatures because I'm one of those assholes who complains about completely CGI villains a lot of the times when they're, they're fighting a bunch yeah. of robots that are all CGI or a bunch of ghosts or demons that are all CGI. That usually bugs me. The interaction feels real. I don't know if they actually rehearsed with actual people and, and painted it over yeah. with it or, or how they did it, but... I know that the Sentinels were not on set, but the interaction between the Sentinels and the X-Men during those fights. And again, we should stress this, these high stakes fights, we get all of the X-Men are are whittled down to the like, uh, you can't count them on one hand (laughs) with more than one hand. Like it, it gets fucking real. And the Sentinels, you know, uh, remain intimidating and threatening. And a lot of the times when they're completely animated, I kind of check out, it just turns into a Pixar movie a little bit. Not to yes. say anything against Pixar, but if, if it's completely immersive in that world, I'll buy it. But yeah. if all of a sudden one of the characters is being chased down the street by Shrek, it takes me out of it, you know? Yeah, no, I it's it. you never, 
I mean, I, there's a, uh, maybe one one or two points where you're like, uh, it seemed like this was a lot more urgent timeline than, you know, they're they're taking their time doing stuff. They're doing this. They've got their own thing going on. And they're all here and, you know, they're running around a bit. And you go like, shouldn't they have run out of time by now? Like there's that kind of, but it's, that's pretty minor, yeah. right? Like it's, I can't, I can't give it too much of a fault on that. And that completely epic scene where Magneto picks up uh, the whole baseball stadium and basically and drops it around the White House. Like, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a well done scene. Like there, there's, you can't, there's no, in no part does the CGI feel bad or hokey. Um, again, the only thing that's a little whatever silly is Beast, but yeah. that's a really hard makeup job, everything to pull off. It's just... He obviously yeah, they, they bothered you more than he bothered me. To you, he's Sorry? sort of... He obviously seemed to bother you more than he bothered me. To you, he's like that mechanical robot in Clash of the Titans, just just killing all of the fun in any scene that he's in. <laughs> um, to me, he just didn't have enough to do to be really relevant enough. To, you know, In all of these, these threads of stories, he was sort of like the Trask character. He kind of got short shrift. Yeah, he's he's fine. I, mean, I shouldn't... I, I make it, you know, like... Because it's the one thing that that bugs me, I think it, I, I I harp on it a bit more. I just um, I don't know. He's he's not my favorite character in any in any of, of the X Men anyway. Like yeah, he's really smart and he you know he's a beast and he can he has strong and he can jump and he's got prehensile feet. And like, well, do you know like just technical not. props again to brian singer and co to, for selling such an unbelievably complicated narrative and making it clear and fun and yep. exciting so bravo to future past. oh and and you are right up to the end you are like you know especially when the you know there's do flipping back and forth and those sentinels are busting in and it's it's like finish it now or you're all dead yeah like it's edge of your seat like you it's a it's an exciting movie it doesn't it doesn't miss uh, at all. Things are better. The world is better. Just because there's not a war doesn't mean there's peace. He's coming. Some call him Apocalypse. He was some kind of god. For thousands of years, he's been amassing mutants to take their powers. He always had four followers. Like the four horsemen. Eric, don't join them. Whatever it is you think you saw in me, I buried it with my family. Together, we will cleanse the earth. Everything they've built will fall! And from the ashes of their world, we'll build a better one! I've never felt power like this before. They took him. Raven, the world needs the X-Men. I'm not a hero. Students look up to you. If I'm going to teach your kids something, I'm going to teach them how to fight. Follow me. To her. I'm not afraid of him. Magneto, he's my father. What? Him and my mom, they did. No, I know. Not all of us can control our powers. Then don't. 
Apocalypse means to destroy this world. It's all of us against a god and the most powerful beings on Earth. So with uh, X-Men Apocalypse, for the first time outside of obviously Magneto and some of his henchmen, we have instead of man being the real cause of a lot of the problems here, a, a mutant, the first mutant, the mutant, yeah. the original ground zero mutant, um, from which as far as he's concerned, all the rest have sprung. And, uh, after waking up from a several century nap in a, in an Egyptian tomb, he decides he needs to unmake the world and reshape it for he and his mutant brethren. He's like, Magneto on crazy crack and he's also incredibly powerful. He starts to recruit the four horsemen of the apocalypse and uh, global stakes and uh, you know mayhem ensue. I want to be sitting here telling you this was the movie that closed out the second trilogy in a way that was super strong but I, I, I do have some issues. It is certainly nowhere near the problematic entry that part three was but coming off of a movie as strong as days of future past apocalypse seems almost minor by comparison and when you call mm -hmm. your movie apocalypse uh you know i i feel you need to bring you got to bring something to back that shit up and kind, I, kind of like when you call it the last stand yeah well and i have to say watching it for the <laughs> second time for the movie i was able to appreciate oscar isaac's performance more because the first time I didn't even clock it as Oscar Isaac. He was just a mm. blue guy. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, so I had to find my way into his performance, which I did the second time around, saying I should pay more attention to that. That's that Oscar Isaac under all that shit. But mm -hmm. all of these problems did not exist for me while I was watching Days of Future Past. And this is not anywhere near as complicated a pill to feed <laughs> as Future Past. I don't know if they no. rushed to production on this or, you know, what, what, you know, one of these things where they have to do something with the franchise or, or else, you know, the copyright expires or what. But I feel like this didn't get cooked enough. I think it either needed another draft in the screenplay or there was some key component missed. Now, I'm not enough of an X-Men nerd to know if they did justice to the Apocalypse storyline, but... I will say that I think this is my least favorite of the second trilogy. For starters. Yeah, well, you know, and there's a few things. Um, yeah, Apocalypse is not... Like, he's a lot more of a badass in the in the, in the comics. He's harder, a lot harder for them to kill. And that they, they kind of got that across, but he looks... He doesn't look imposing, and in the comics he does. And, I, and that there was kind of some advanced screening shots where they showed him, and people were it, like the 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 ragging on the movie got on really quickly. Like they were already on it and calling it looking. It just looks terrible. It's going to be terrible. Right. You know, like months before it came out because of some pre-screenings stuff that they did. Um, and and. It, you know, there there's supposedly some reshoots and stuff because of it, but it didn't do enough. He doesn't look he doesn't he's not scary enough or imposing enough. Even though he does scary things, he's just he's kinda clowny. Yeah. He looks sad clown, you know? It's just not 
So maybe it's some things that, that work in comics don't translate as well in terms of how people look, but yeah, I don't know. He's strike, he's not, sorry. Strike one for me. Yeah. Like again, uh, I'm not really engaged or intimidated by apocalypse. I want to, I'm interested to see how they're going to try in a way to, 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 to fight somebody this powerful. That's sort of what makes me curious about it, but like, mm -hmm. that's not enough. It's doesn't give that the villain, the edge that we want. My other problem, which would be, I guess I'd have to call strike two, is the problem of repetition. They do it really, really well, but the, the narrative with the Fessbender character, he has a wife and a child, and because people are not understanding, they are taken from him, and this reinstills his hatred upon humanity. It's done really well, and Fessbender acts the hell out of it, but... This is just a repeat of his origin story. This is what happened to his mother, part two, right? Uh, the Quicksilver action sequence. He saves a bunch of uh, mutants from a huge explosion using his powers. It's uh, not the exact same thing as the time in the bottle sequence, but in a way, they yeah. use the character to the exact same principle. They bring him mm -hmm. in, he saves the day, and then he's largely gone from the movie. For the first time, yeah. I can directly accuse Sanger of basically just repeating himself. The A story mm -hmm. is a less than engaging uh, villain, and the B story is a rehash of B stories that you yourself have already told. Is there yeah. a strike three, though? <laughs> That's two strikes. <laughs> there's, a few, there's a few other weaknesses. Uh, uh, Sophie Turner doesn't do well her, her She's role the is, new she Jean Grey right yeah she doesn't bring anything to Jean Grey she acts like he does in Game of Thrones she's quiet and aloof and oh every now and then she kind of looks down and looks up this... she does the same looks you know it's not it's nothing new that way the, this reminds me, sorry, that Sophie Turner, Jean Grey, for the the uh, Wolverine cameo. Here's a question I had. I don't know if it's me or if it's a, it's a continuity thing. Maybe you can help me. At the mm -hmm. end of Future Past, in the past timeline anyway, uh, it, first we think Straker's fishing uh, Wolverine out, but then they hint that it's actually... Uh, it's Mystique. It's Mystique. But in this yeah. movie, Straker does have him. And he's being weapon excised. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, that that when is, I was rewatching, I, I couldn't figure that out either. So um, he must have been caught some other point, I guess. But uh, it, that's a weird. I think that might be a continuity thing. I don't know. I could be wrong. Maybe someone will be yelling at me in the comments. But uh, no, you, you're right though. Like it, they very much say that it is mystique, and some of those things didn't happen. Obviously, like I mean, if. Wolverine wasn't if Straker wasn't up there and had Wolverine then Dean wouldn't have been up there holding back the water and she wouldn't have died and she wouldn't have become the Dark Phoenix and, and that whole thing didn't happen right and in this version Jean Grey releases Wolverine from the Weapon X program yeah yeah it's uh, you're right it's you know it, it, the only thing I can think of that might be whatever is the um there's a point in Days of Future Past where it's not working, and he says, "Well, maybe there's a there's this there's an idea that um, time is immutable. Like you can you can 
change it you can try and change it all you want but in the end it's all gonna revert it's all just gonna snap back like it'll find a way to reassert itself so maybe that's kind of what they were getting at or that was their out is that wolverine is meant to be weapon x and that's going to happen or that that will try and happen history will try and make that the yeah you, you can't fight your fate type of idea did you freeze on me again brother I'm gonna the pause. case well there he is it paid that price too because he was the one who was traversing you know i i don't know that's uh it's an interesting point though you're right and uh it, it uh i'm glad you brought it up because it's one of those things i hadn't thought because i ended up because I had watched Apocalypse the most recently, I didn't rewatch it again because I just watched it like two months before. Right. Um, but part of the reason why I did that is, although I wanted to make sure I watched Days of Future Past because I wanted to try and have all those time things straight, but that's one of the ones that I'd forgotten is that they still go ahead and they, sh- yeah, they show them and they, they release them. So they, ha- you know, like if that's the case, then, you know, what, it, I mean, Deke is, he wouldn't have sold him out, so he must have, they must have saved him, and he went off on his own and got captured again. Yeah, again, anyway, we don't. I guess is we the, don't know. The story uh, what, out. Are there continuity issues in the sixth chapter of this X Men franchise? Holy <laughs> shit! <laughs> um, we also get another take on Storm, which is more interesting, but again, not entirely new. New actress, new origin, but not new to us, right? We know Storm. Well, that is part of her origin story too. She was a street thief. In Cairo, that's that's part of that's canon. That's part of her canon. I just don't know that the whole her as a as a horseman was part of it. Yeah. Um, it's the 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 angel are having Warren Worthington become Archangel. That is, he was one of Apocalypse's horsemen. Yeah. Uh, um, I just don't know about the others. I don't think Magneto ever was. Or Quicksilver, again, Magneto's son, I figure like maybe they're saving it for a later movie, but it seemed like a missed opportunity. It seemed like if Quicksilver wanted to show that he was, you know, worthy of being acknowledged by his father, that maybe he would be the one to uh, turn the tables for uh, the apocalypse, right? Instead of Fespender, predictably, you know, going, oh, we've gone too far. So. Yeah, well, in the whole, like, like Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch um, are brother and sister, and they're Magneto's kids. And they they're not they're not as hero aligned by default in the comics. Scarlet Witch is a bit more Mag, but Quicksilver is kind of more. He's kind of a free agent. He kind of he's 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 kind of like Magneto in that way. He doesn't. He has his own reasons for doing things, and one of his only things that he does is or is is loyal to his family. Right. right. So, uh, him and, and Scarlet Witch are very close, despite all that whatever's went on. She does go into the Avengers. Oh, I'm certain that it, you know it's it's a long, convoluted story on that. And so there's ups and downs in it. But yeah, he's not um, he's not a pure hero in that same sense. He's he's a more you know, self it's that selfish, selfless thing. He's not purely selfless. He does some very selfish things in uh, the comics. Going back to the movie specifically, though, I think one of the problems, and this is maybe a left-handed compliment to the movie with this finishing chapter, 
is that the first two chapters were so strong that, mm-hmm. that that maybe this one just looks worse because the other two are so much better more than that it's such a bad movie by itself as a basic well, adventure x-men adventure romp it does hold your attention it is entertaining but it doesn't move the board forward in the same way. Days of Future Past felt like such a new, fresh, exciting reinvigoration of X-Men. And this feels like another chapter of X-Men. Which is to well, say, if you like X-Men, watch the movie. You'll you'll probably enjoy it. But um, it's not their best. It's not their best outing. No, but I mean, Days of Future Past, you have, you know, all four of the McAvoy, Fassbender, Stuart, McKellen. Yeah working together and then it changes gears in this and it's supposed to be you know it's it's kind of a oh this is the new class this is who's going to be the new stars of this this series coming together right yeah they're setting the um, table for the new generation cigar, right because yeah. patrick's or uh, uh mcavoy spends two-thirds of the movie you know comatose or down and out or you know the yeah. MacGuffin that he's trying to turn into himself right like he doesn't have a lot of Screen time. Screen time. And Magneto is uh, a horseman. He's controlled. Yeah. So that's a really big gap to try and fill with some actors who haven't been starring roles. Yeah. You know, and Sophie Turner doesn't. She doesn't fill the role. She doesn't. They don't fill that void. The well, young Cyclops. For me, I will say, I will say the jury is still out. But um, I think that this this era sort of will end, not just the, the this movie ends not just this sort of era of X Men, but probably the last chapter of the era of X Men where I'm like actively ooh ooh new X Men. They're gonna be movies that I'll still get around to watching. Like I am loyal to a lot of franchises. I'll get around to watching the next Hellraiser movie. I'll get around to watching the next Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie. And I will get around to watching the next X-Men movie. Because that's who I am as a person. But as well, far yeah. as being the guy that's like, ooh, ooh, what, what's going to be the villain in the next movie? And ooh, ooh, where are we going now? Um, I'll, I'll show up and I'll check it out. Um, but uh, oversaturation and... Um, you know, well, typically, you know me. I'm horror sci-fi. Uh, superheroes is an interesting subgenre, but uh, more my yeah. bags more into the darker corners. You know, but but like you're a dad like me. Yeah, you've got kids. kids. You've yeah. got you've got lots of stuff going on. You you know you've got your projects and stuff, and it's like there is so much content right yeah. now to try and keep up on. And if you like superheroes, it's like Netflix, Defenders, Jessica Jones, all of that <laughs> yeah. stuff. There's like hours of content. Cloak and Dagger just came out. It's really good. You know, I, I don't get, I don't, I don't really want to spend a hundred dollars to go see any old superhero movie because I've seen how long it takes them to be on Netflix and that's so, like three months. This is what I'm saying. The bar has been raised and it was raised by the X-Men franchise and unfortunately it was a bar they maybe didn't reach with this last chapter. Yeah. Fair enough. Well, and then there's the whole thing with the studios too, right? Like now that Disney's going to own Fox, Fox, where does that leave all this too, right? Oh, only time will tell. Are you ready to rank mm-hmm. these bitches? Yeah, let's do it.
thank you again so much for being here. <laughs> I know we have to schedule and reschedule this. I'm a pain in the ass. I keep myself pretty busy these days, you know, so I don't have to think about stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is interesting. I, I, I feel like we're on the same page. Well, we'll see where we land with these six movies. But, like, uh, I, I'm anxious to hear what was your least favorite of the six X-Men movie reviewed this week and why? Uh, my, my least favorite is, uh, X3, The Last Stand. Uh, it just has so many holes, uh, and, and throwaway characters, lazy decisions. Um, I could go on. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And we did. So, uh, I think, uh, my next least favorite in fifth position he's thinking about it I actually honestly have to put Apocalypse just because it it pales so much in comparison to the the, the next things that were done like with the in the second series it's it's just it's just not good enough for what they raised the bar to uh, I think if I, you put it flat sideways, it's pretty close to just the first X-Men movie because there's big problems in that. But if you look at that movie from uh, where it was in history, the timing that it came out, I have to put X-Men higher because it it was breaking ground whereas x3 or the sorry the apocalypse you know was was on a straightaway the road that had already been built for it agreed um so yeah so that's my number four is x-men uh number three is uh first class i think just because um, it had to redo so much of its own stuff, and I think that there are some 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 staggering points there. There's some characters that are just completely thrown away. Uh, the Kevin Bacon thing, uh, you know, the Hellfire Club. They just they're not inspiring enough as villains. And then number two is X two. Uh, it's a pretty good movie. I don't think there's anything too much wrong with it. And my top of the pile is Days of Future Past. It's uh, everything I want any of these movies to be. It's got it all. It's got all the characters. It's got all four of the Professor X and Magnetos that I like. And there's some profoundly amazing scenes in that movie. Okay, so for the cheap seats, because we kind of you kind of fought your way through it. You were making this list as you go, which you're allowed to do. That's yeah. not bringing the rules. But okay, so, if I understand you, in sixth placement is X three, The Last Stand. Correct. In fifth place, X Men Apocalypse. Yes. In fourth place, the original X Men. Yes. In third place, X Men First Class. Mm-hmm. In second place, X two. And in first place, Days of Future Past. That's your that's your list. Final answer. 
Correct. Brock Knutson, you have just dethroned Lee Beckman as the rank and review champion. <laughs> Congratulations. You, sir, are out a prize. <laughs> I thought that we would maybe differ on the bottom two, X-Men 2 and Days of Future Past. I rewatched both of them and it was a tough call, but yeah. Uh, yeah, X-Men 3 is easily the, the sloppiest X-Men. It just you don't feel the love and care was put into it. And it's unfortunate because it has some of the most dramatic highs and some of the hardest losses that we face. So, no, yeah, that, that's got to be that's gotta be last place for me. Apocalypse is mainly flawed because it should have been way better. It didn't have, yeah. like you said, all of the stuff working against it, all of the setup working against it, all of this, you know... Um, it might be hurt to have that Iron Man 2 problem and that it was starting to set up the new X-Men universe and that got distracting from the story it was trying to tell. But in the end, it was a rehash and less exciting because of it. Mm -hmm. X-Men, the first, arguably, actually inarguably, has more obvious flaws, but it was also, as you again said, was breaking new ground every step it was taking, basically. Uh, they were a little bit unsure about the balance of, you know, reality comic book worlds and, and, and how to mm -hmm. how to play the X-Men. And uh, they bought their way through the bush. And yeah, they, was it perfect? Hells no. Like I say, the deeper in they got, the more wonky it became. But uh, it fought its way to fourth place. Um, again, maybe in, in as time would go on, it may flip-flop with Apocalypse, but today it did not. So... Uh, we go to third place with the first class, which was, again, uh, a tough, tough thing to uh, to deal with. We had a shift in the, the director and a uh, shift in cast. And this was, you know, not going to be easy to make smooth. And I think largely it's fairly graceful and it still feels part of the original trilogy, but definitely its own thing. Uh, again, I really like Kevin Bacon as a villain. I really like, you know it got me anxious to see where this new X-Men was going. And I, I didn't anticipate that when I heard they were pushing forward after, after three. In second place, and again, this was tough because they'd made such a great creative leap from one to two, X2. Uh, a lot of, well, very Wolverine heavy, which, you know, is a popular character, makes sense. But again, uh, they, they told a complicated story. They didn't talk down to the comic book audience. They didn't just say the costumes would be enough, which a lot of like the, you know, Spawns and Blade and movies that we've talked about in the past are very guilty of. <laughs> they really took the subject seriously. Even though it's a ridiculous comic book, they took it seriously. Bravo. Yeah. Days of Future Past is a bonkers story. It's really tough. Different timelines. Characters talking and confronting themselves from their own past and presence. Uh, major characters being killed off on a regular basis from scene to scene and possibly high stakes and yet it maintains a fun kind of energy to it and like I say that that, that Quicksilver <laughs> sequence yeah. man damn damn it's a movie that could have been horrible yeah so uh, yeah I mean again it'd be interesting to revisit this in a few years because these types of movies age quickly I find so maybe I would change that list, but no, Brock, today you broke Lee Beckman's heart. Right now, somewhere in the world listening to this, <laughs> Lee Beckman is shouting, no, no, no. 
How does it feel to be a champion? <laughs> it's good. We've done a few of these and we've never matched up on that. That's uh, that's pretty. I'm pretty happy actually. I think that's pretty. pretty good place. Was it well, worth and, staying up way past your bedtime? <laughs> you know, it's it's only it's not that super late. I I'm a bit of a night owl anyway, so it's not too bad. Um, I mean, I'll probably sleep in a bit, and that'll be a good thing. <laughs> Well, thank you so much. Uh, we'll we'll have you back again, and hopefully, it won't take a year. Or so we'll, we'll we'll get it worked out. I hey, I get it. I got kids. I got I got a whole world. I got to run to. So, but congratulations, well, send, champion. Send me the new list of what's available, and I'll see if I can pick a new one to start working through for next year. Oh yeah, you gotta you gotta bolster your 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 championship, brother. <laughs> have a new rank and review champion can you believe it i know lee probably cannot i'm sure this one stunned a little bit for him but the day came uh you had a really good run backman uh, 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 a respectful second place to karen's run as champion let's see how long brock can hold the ball once again, I would like to thank everybody for listening to this podcast. Let me know what you thought of our rank. I was surprised that we matched. It was a last-minute sort of flipperoo for me with the Days of Future Past, but it's just how I felt. And, uh, yeah, it's a brand new champion. Please, as I said at the beginning of the episode, consider trying to find your way to seeing Book of Trespasses either in Saskatoon on the October 27th of 2018 at the Broadway Theatre or whenever you can find it in the Canadian Festival Circuit in 2019 and when it's available for purchase or to find elsewhere. I will definitely want to let you know. Thank you once again for listening to and supporting Rank and Review. You have great taste in podcasts. Thank you.